Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And this is S, but you would only know <laughs> that if you read the script. Yeah. This is actually Shanna. Uh, this week, our first feature, my pick, it's Last Year at Marienbad from 1961, directed by Alain René and written by Alain Robdrier. I mentioned the writer specifically because uh, my understanding is it's very fundamental to this guy's work, uh, very typical of his style. The gaming elements, the sort of uh, the him playing a game with the audience is one of his things. And games are a big part of his movies and books. Okay. Okay, cool. So this begins with... Uh, and the, I the first bit of this is mostly I, I gotta we gotta play out a bunch of cards and uh, just as set up the table so that we know what we're talking about before we can really get into the discussion of the movie. Uh, it's uh, just like the movie does. <laughs> um, it, it felt like well, to me, what the movie felt like was uh, somebody was introducing an episode of the twilight zone but just kept introducing it and the episode never happened it it has kind of a zony feel to it i think this is contemporary with maybe a couple years before twilight zone and this one's also interesting in terms of its uh chain of influence because we have references to uh filmmakers that uh like there there's a direct reference to hitchcock in here of course and this is Hitchcock a, is in it. <laughs> yeah, well, a cutout of Hitchcock is in it anyways. Oh, is that what that is? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the this is also a gigantic influence on Kubrick, who I think it, like it's, it's clearly one of his favorite films with both The Shining and Eyes Wide Shut, heavily, heavily influenced on it, or heavily, mm -hmm. heavily influenced by it. I mean, The Shining is a remake of this with Stephen King's story just sort of grafted onto it. <laughs> that's my argument you know i i, I can kind of see it i hmm. can imagine jack nicholson just wandering around this hotel just out of frame never never quite being there but he's there yeah and one thing that i think is super interesting about it is that it's not clear where this is uh it's last year at marion bad where they may have met but, but that doesn't mean it's been... here this it isn't necessarily Frederick's bad. Well, or this most, could be Frederick's bad. This could be Frederick's bad. Although they seem to be referring to Frederick's bad as a different place. But they, there's like a bunch of places that they reference that this may have happened at. Uh, it's not clear where this is. This place does not seem to have any essential reality in terms of where it is or how it functions. There's no consistent geography to the place. Which is also true of The Shining, and I think that's why, like, uh, you haven't seen the Room 237 documentary, which is... No, I haven't. <laughs> uh, it's this weird documentary about The Shining and sort of uh, going over fan theories of it, uh, and uh, very, very elaborate fan theories of it, and the impossible geometry of the Overlook is something that people really dwell on, and they kind of try to figure out why there are these places where 
we're watching something in real time, but it clearly doesn't line up. Like Danny is circling the lobby and ending up on the second floor. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it's it's a reference to this. They're doing Marion Bad. That's why. Yeah. Well, there's a scene the first time we see the statue, every time we see a shot of it, it's uh somewhere else. There's a few times it's in that same place. The the one main place, the balustrade with the statue just outside the doors, but it moves all over the place. So yeah, it's everywhere. Uh, sure, sometimes the statue will be with the balustrade, but the balustrade might not be in the same place. Yeah, sometimes that will move. There, There's everything, like, there is no consistent reality, which uh, makes this a difficult film for a lot of people. But it's sort of the point. The point is, like, it, it's a movie that is saying, come interpret me. Let's play a game. Uh, we're we're going to play a game called watching movies and interpreting their meaning. Uh, we're going to play a game called interpreting art. I'm bad at this game. I'm not good <laughs> at it. I'm pretty good at this game. Uh, I, I love this game. So I, I want to note just at the beginning, there is this incredible company logo for, I think it's a, uh, Cochin film, Cochinor. And it's like you're being pulled into a vortex, which is so perfect for this movie, which is all about these repetitive loops. The logo really tripped me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, uh, on your advice, I had smoked a lot of, a lot of Keef, uh, too much Keef. That part was not on your advice. No. <laughs> but, uh, but when I was finally able to calm down and watch the movie, I felt myself getting pulled into a vortex yeah i mean i think this movie the the first time you watch it it's best experienced you know just experienced you don't need to interpret it the first time because it's impossible you have to get all of the details you watch all of it and then you get an overview and you experience the feeling of being in this vortex and then the next time you watch it you have all that information you're like oh yeah i see all of these things and you can pick apart how all of these things relate that's the point. That's how you're supposed to view the movie. Right. I <laughs> I, I tried. Yeah. <laughs> so the titles uh, as well, very stately, uh, like an embossed business card, as you mentioned, kind of has, you, you think of American Psycho right off the bat, <laughs> the, these business cards. One thing that is also notable about the uh, opening credits, they're very simple. They're just the card thing. Uh, they're the women and men are separated on different sides of the screen. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Uh, as if they're on opposing sides of a game. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, we have that opening mantra. I wouldn't say it's really a monologue. There's just this guy talking. Uh, our, our main guy, X, has no name. He's the man, Giorgio Apertazzi. It does feel like a chant. Mm -hmm, Because it repeats a bunch of times. And I'm not really clear how many times it was. Because it fades in and out and... It's moving from place to place. Sometimes there's like music playing over it that just totally drowns it out. The score is very interesting in this. One that I did not like on first viewing, but has grown on me. You know what? I didn't like the score either. It took me... I found the organ music to be grating it. It's... It's really difficult. The whole thing kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, it, it's definitely meant to give you a, a weird, eerie feeling. And 
it's dissonant. There's all these parts where it is clearly not an appropriate, like there, there's the part where they go to the concert in, in the hotel and <laughs> we're watching people play violins and stuff, but we're just hearing this droning, doomy fucking organ music like pipe organs but it is being played to the violin movements it kind of looks like it's similar to it yeah so there there's just this weird vibe of disconnection that it adds i i've come to appreciate it like i don't enjoy it as music but i enjoy it as atmosphere it really works for the film without being pleasant exactly uh, i think I it's a very interesting it, score i just found it too oppressive that is fair uh it is also, uh, the, the score is by Francis Seyrig, the brother of Delphine, the woman in the movie. Uh, a. Oh, cool. Yeah, oh, okay. so it's her brother did the score. Hmm. So we have this mantra at the beginning, uh, and there's so much to it. Uh, I, I, I have just little bits of it, things like cross corridors leading in turn to empty rooms. Carpets so heavy, so thick that all sound escapes the ear. And in this Baroque and dismal hotel. Yeah. That uh, belongs to the past. This building that belongs to the past. I feel that's really key. There, there's a repeated phrase that uh not our main characters, but the uh unnamed other characters say a bunch of times. It must have been 28 or 29. And, and it's that not, comes up a few yeah, times as well. Bunch of times. And it's not clear what they're talking about happened then, because there's a few things that they talk about having happened in the past, but they shift just like everything does. Uh, the only thing I can remember is one time they were talking about the fountain freezing. There was a year that it froze, and there was this thing with Frank that seems to have maybe been an act of violence, maybe a rape. Not clear. Yeah, for, okay, so Frank could be X. When you said it in the chat, I was like... Yeah, Frank might that, be X. But that was because I forgot who X, which one X was supposed to be. Right, X and not M. referenced in the film. Right, yeah. So as the uh, opening monologue goes, we're touring all of these ornate corridors and rooms. We go up walls, ceilings, and the voice just kind of drones over and over. And... It's interesting that when we arrive at the audience in the playroom, uh, was the play something like Rostrum? I can't remember. I have it somewhere. Oh, but Rosmer. he can't remember the name of the play either. So He cannot remember. Uh, it's Rosmer, and it is uh, a Henrik Ibsen play about a rape. Oh, is it, it's a real play? Yeah. Oh, okay. Or at least it's a reference to it. The, oh. the play that they're doing in the movie is not Rosmer. <laughs> they seem I, to just be echoing this movie. I was just going to say, it's yeah. like, this is just a play of this movie, but with different people. Yeah. Uh, copies, because everybody's a copy of a copy. We, we're in certified copy world. I think certified copy <laughs> is also heavily, heavily influenced by this. Oh, definitely. And that was another one I struggled with. <laughs> yeah. I think certified copy is more difficult. This one is more like, I want you to come and like, it's trying to engage the audience. It wants the audience to meet it halfway and play a game of interpreting it. It's giving you lots and lots of clues. Whereas uh certified copies thing is just removing clues. It's like, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> that that's impossible. 
I actually think I found certified copy easier, but that might be because I listened to the director's introduction mm. and because I had a month to figure it out. That might be more of it. I, I feel like you had a lot of trouble with the certified copy at the oh, beginning, but one. then we had like a month off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the, un, the forced hiatus. Yes. Yes. So when they get to the audience of people watching the play, it sort of breaks the loop. It becomes the performance. Uh, the, the, the narrative starts becoming the play that's happening on the stage. I thought he started saying different stuff when we got to that point. I was like, I don't remember this part. It shifts finally when we start seeing the performers, which is interesting. I, I feel like, it, again, in terms of the, the movie being like, come and interpret me, we're playing a game. The, the audience's participation is a significant element of the film. It, it's a film that exists through its watching. It, it's that The characters are like, activated by the presence of us by the camera by being observed okay okay <laughs> well like you see the parts where they uh <laughs> just uh they're lagging right yeah uh that happens i think sh shortly after this yeah so the the main thing the the organ music, very oppressive, frantic, disorienting, very intentionally so. It's the sound of a nightmare. And the camera just is always moving, gliding all over the place. So the time and space are really inconsistent. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and there's mirrors everywhere, and everything's an echo. Every character that we see is like an echo of our main characters. And I, one of my theories, and I have a bunch, <laughs> is that all of these characters, like all of the characters that we see that don't end up being the main characters are potential uh, pieces in the game. Okay, okay. Because at the start, the movie is... So the, the game, Nim... Uh, or Marion Bad, as it was like the, when this movie came out, they gave out packs of cards and how to play Marion Bad. So the game M is teaching everyone to play and can never be beat at. Is the he game that the movie's playing? Beat. He just he can beat. He can, but he won't. It's the game that the movie's playing with the audience. It plays out all of these cards at the start. So we see this huge bunch of characters, and then we watch all of them, and then it's just removing them from the table one by one until we're left with three, which is exactly what happens every time the game is played in the movie. Right. I, I, yeah, it's just kind of interesting because all these characters never did seem to be real, but at the time I felt like I needed to pay attention to them. It, uh, it's yeah, hard to explain. Because you can't, because it's hard to say at the beginning who who's going to be the main character. And even on a second viewing, you're like, is that the couple? And like, no, that's just someone different who's who are having a conversation that we'd expect them to have. So it's built for these rewatches where you come back to it and like, oh hey, that's M and A. And like, no, no, that's not them. They're not in this yet. <laughs> they do a bunch of that. Yeah, yeah. Like there's this blonde girl who at one point talks to somebody and you think she might be part of the story and she isn't. No, I think it it's suggestive of uh, each one of these characters 
could be the main characters. Like if this were a different cycle or if we were watching a different cycle or if this weren't sort of a, a reading of it with those three as the central ones, it could be any of the other characters filtered in. But the, the question I have in that is it could be just X who can change. Like as the X factor, I suppose we should examine each of these names, such as they are as well. Yeah, yeah. Up here at the top, I'm still not sure who which name goes to which person. <laughs> so A is our main character, or the woman. I would say that the yeah. whole world exists around her. I think she is the central, most important character. I think that's why she is A. But A also. You know, very obviously, you know, classic literary reference. It's the Scarlet Letter. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cheating wife, right? Right. Infidelity. Yeah, which is, it's a, I guess, what <laughs> pretty might straight be forward. happening here. Could be. Uh, M is her, possibly her husband. The guy she's with. Uh, I think on IMDb and some databases, the character name is Le Marie, which is the husband. So it could be that uh, i've also heard theories that it is uh, that he's her psychologist or that he's her father uh if we were to pull out another uh reference m is murder oh yeah or murderer uh the, that's you know classic 30s film m stands for murderer yeah uh because yeah. he does potentially commit a murder in this movie maybe <laughs> well we see him shoot someone it's we just see him i don't shoot know someone but did this happen yeah because it's it's weird how the way it's shot <laughs> we see it a bunch of times and some of them feel parodic uh, and so x we've got x as like an x factor he could be just interchangeable he could be any of these and he's also x as in he's an intersection he is getting in between this couple and he's kind of causing uh whatever this is Okay. All right. <laughs> so there's also the statues. As you mentioned, the statues are also echoes of our main characters, and they're always talking about the statues, and the statues follow them all over the place. <laughs> well, it just seems to be one statue multiple times. Well, it's it's these it's this two statues. There's the man and the woman and their dog, but that statue is everywhere. There is one other statue that we very frequently see at the end of a corridor. But I'm not sure what that one is signifying. I, I don't recognize the statue or what figure it's supposed to be. And we don't really get a close look at it. But it, it's always down at the very end of a hallway. Okay, I haven't noticed this one. <laughs> I've watched this a few times. I did watch it three times in the past week. So a lot of the time as well, the people who are speaking are not shown. We're seeing someone hearing the speaking more often. Okay, and sometimes not even that. Sometimes we're just seeing a voiceover that's describing a scene that isn't happening on the screen, but might happen on the screen later or might have happened on the screen before. Yeah, it's like we're lost in their memories. So we're hearing what they're talking about, but instead of seeing the conversation, we're seeing what they're thinking about. And it may not be the thing that they're talking about. It's like their memories are just this wash of detail and we don't have any mooring within it. And like as well, the statues will be that. The we'll see the statues as they're talking about something that's not the statues, and it's like the statues represent them. 
but what does the dog represent? <laughs> Hard to say. Uh, the They both have different theories on it, which is fun. The movie is also interpreting itself. The characters are interpreting their reality and interpreting art. They're a model for us to interpret them. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, the dog just uh, showed up. Yeah. So one thing that X keeps referring to is walls. He seems to consider himself trapped. He's always talking about how these walls always here surrounding me. And the silence. He says, I've never heard a voice raised in this hotel. Uh, conversations took place in a vacuum, as if the words meant nothing, as if they could have no meaning. Because mm -hmm. it's a place of rest. So no business, no emotion, just silence and obscure games dim lighting eerie stillness i i guess we should talk about marion bad itself because it is a real place okay yeah oh yeah you were mentioning <laughs> about that um, uh, marion bad and frederick's bad and uh, uh they they list a few of them there's um marion bad frederick's bad karlstadt and baden salza which were uh, popular spa resort destinations. Marienbad, I believe, is in uh, the Czech Republic now. It hasn't been called Marienbad since like 1945. And this movie came out in 1960? 61. So 61. it is distinctly in a past. Like, because there's no place called Marienbad. And they keep talking about 28 or 29. So we're in between the world wars for sure. Right. But maybe this movie is taking place after, but they are still in that, you know, they're, they're trapped in that space. Because at the end of the World War, or end of World War II, all of the Germans were just expelled from this city. Uh, and right. they, they changed it back to its Czech name. But it, it was a very popular German town, like town for Germans, rich and, uh, you know, powerful German people between World War I and World War II. Okay. So they're the idle rich, but there there's also that kind of connotation of Nazism, which is building up in the background. Right, right. But of course, they never talk about that stuff. They can only talk about non-topics. This is a place of rest. It's it's a it's a hotel about nothing. <laughs> this story is already over. In a moment, it will freeze forever into a marble past great line I, I he he always talks about the past freezing uh and we're talking about 28 or 29 maybe it froze here uh so the past freezing into a distinct entity is something he always talks about but the past doesn't seem to have frozen the past doesn't seem to have resolved i guess not like <laughs> <laughs> we, we have these marble so statues we have these marble statues and they uh they are they kind of represent them they are them frozen but they're not them and it, he's he's kind of imagining this past that is solidified that distinctly exists but it doesn't we don't know what the past is he doesn't see no one seems to know what the past was the past doesn't seem to be frozen in any sort of stone right right cuz even he when he's talking forever he, at the end he's like wait i don't know maybe it wasn't i don't remember 
because the all of the recollections they're so vivid but they're the vividness of like a really intense dream so we see them and they're often not what he's saying or they lag and they like he he describes it and then it happens after because he's envisioned it or something completely different happens it's like these these recollections they're so vivid but they're built on sand the the sand of memory and memory is not as consistent as the actual past right because his whole thing is he thinks he seems to think that she can't remember something right and it's it's represented by the same thing over and over i came to your room you were alone and her repeated line leave me alone please but she says it in so many different ways she says it a lot i, I was I'm kind of like buddy she says it frequently, but sometimes it's seductive. <laughs> sometimes. Uh, so it's, you know, who's reminiscing? Uh, at, at what time? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, we have the play. Uh, and I feel that the play is pretty important to our whole loop here. We're looking at the audience, but not hearing the play at first. We're just gliding over all of these people in the audience and none of these are people we know or or people that we will know yeah we do see m first he's standing in the very back and he's very serious looking he's always very serious looking he's yeah he's just lurking uh he's the most mysterious character i feel because he's the outsider he is sort of the he's like a block in between the two of them to me i thought he kind of represented like the hotel itself or or like the game or the world that they find themselves in because he's always the one who's setting up the game and explaining he, the rules he is the games master so it could be a thing where he is sort of representative of the director or the writer where he he's kind of the one who is running this whole game but he always wins, but he never quite wins because X never loses. We'll get to that. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that's distinct is uh, we do see A in the middle of the audience, direct, dead center in one of the shots of the audience, but we don't linger on it. We don't see her. We don't really spend any time with it. And then we see the people on the stage doing Rosmer, but not Rosmer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Doing, doing last year at Marion bad. Well, yeah, they're on the set. They're on the, the balustrade, but it's broken. Like, did you notice yeah. that it's the broken version of the balcony that we see later, but it's a painting of it. Uh, the second time I did. Yes. Yeah. So you got this matte painting of a broken balustrade that's behind them. Uh, and uh, the distance behind the, like we, we have a matte painting with with something that's evocative of the main exterior we see when we're overlooking the gardens. It's not the same, but it's definitely yeah. meant to evoke it. Mm -hmm. But she's silent. She's not saying anything. We're just still hearing the drone of, of the opening monologue. <laughs> <laughs> but the play is like a microcosm of the film. Uh, we see the narration somewhere in there switch to a first-person POV. Uh where we haven't 
it's not clear because it still seems to be the same thing, but it just slightly changes to I was doing stuff. And it, it happens just before we finally do see M. Okay, I never caught that. Yeah, so he's like, uh, the 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 voiceover goes, changes to as if the ground were still sand and gravel and stone paving, which I crossed once again, the crossing again and again, uh, amongst which I was already waiting for you. So there's a suggestion of this continuance of time, but it isn't consistent. Like, things have changed. It's like, as if it were still that way, uh, where I was already waiting. Like, it, there's this infinite moment that okay <laughs> they, they're both always there and they're both never there like uh, there there's sort of this uh impossibility of the the moment and that like they are there and they are not there so yeah the the story is already over in a few seconds it will freeze forever these static silent characters long since dead oh i i, I figured <laughs> this one out he's referring to all the people who aren't the main characters it's got to be that. Please let it be that. I have to get something right. I mean, I think that's part. Of, I think it's everybody. I think they're all ghosts. I think they've all been dead for a long time, and they're just repeating these cycles that they've been in. And I think that, I, I guess my main theory of it has to do with X as being a more recently departed ghost than A. And he's trying to, like, th this is a form of purgatory, and he is taking her out of it to the next step but she or can't bring herself well, he thinks he is but i i feel like he's come in later and he's more aware that this is a shifting landscape whereas she doesn't entirely realize the state that she's in he seems more aware of the state that they're in because he's the one narrating it he's the one talking about things freezing in time he's talking about uh, all of these silent characters long since dead, she doesn't seem to have the same understanding of it. Yeah, she seems to just be there, I guess. <laughs> her like her understanding of time seems to be more linear, whereas his is not. Like, we're seeing it through him in a way, because, you know, he's the narrator, and we're bouncing through time with his recollections because there is no linear there there's no linear line of time he's just going through all of it because it doesn't matter for him anymore like time has ceased to exist for him right for right all of them it's yeah. just he's more aware of it maybe so we, <laughs> maybe <laughs> we finally see someone speaking the voice changes to be this guy who's on the stage but the sight lines are really weird <laughs> no one seems to look at each other in these movies. Everybody's looking past each other. Yeah, that's that's something. Like she's always, if she's looking at him at all, she's always kind of looking over her shoulder, never directly at him. Because, like, it, it sort of speaks to them the, this relationship being um, covert, being illicit that they're not allowed to be together. So they're always sitting or standing some distance apart. And there's like a level of plausible deniability, whether they're actually having a conversation, whether they're just, you know, separately being in the same place. Right. Right. Which, which he kind of comments on is like, you're always like, you're always there. Not really talking to me. Mm -hmm. 
so with the people on the stage, they're doing this right from the bat. Like before we've even met our characters, we see them uh, representing this where uh, the man is behind her and she's facing stage left. And they're, they're just like looking in different directions, but she says, I'm yours and the curtains close and they like open and close and there's like a standing ovation, but they just are totally immobile. <laughs> They've frozen into marble. Mm -hmm. So we see Delphine in the audience, which is impossible because we know she was not at the play. That's key to what happens later. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she can't be at the play. Yeah, she wasn't at the play because that's when all the other stuff happened. She was waiting outside for one of them to come out. So, again, she couldn't be there, but we're still laying out the cards. We don't know who the main characters are going to be yet. Right. <laughs> and this is also where we start to see the lag in reality, where it cuts to people and they're all still, and then there's like a few seconds before they start talking. Like, they are activated by us looking at them, by uh, us experiencing them. It, it kind of felt like, um, like, like a loading circle, or the little hourglass was just kind of yeah. working over each of their faces yeah it was like uh what, what's going on here? <laughs> and it, there, there's not like things spoken that matter it's just there's this weird lag and then people start talking like the cut was too early but it's very intentional mm -hmm. and they stutter you know uh their clothes and the locations change between shots <laughs> Uh, yeah. And it's around here where we see Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah. Or, or the, and I noticed, I did notice that he was floating, but I didn't notice yeah. that it was a cutout. Yeah. He's hovering in the air on uh, the right side of the screen at one point when some people are walking down a corridor. And it's interesting. He's kind of in like this ornate alcove. Uh, and it's right before the big crescendo of organ and Albertazzi being introduced. Uh, I, I know that it, it seems to be a shout out to Vertigo, which Rene was just a huge fan of. I still, I gotta see that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Vertigo is another one where we have a lot of shifting identities and doubles. It's just, it's a more literal storyline. <laughs> you know, it's Hitchcock. You, you, you can understand what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a key part here where we see a couple starting to argue, but they're distorted in a mirror. Like Albertazzi X, the narrator, is yeah. standing up close to a mirror and he's looking in the mirror and we see this couple arguing in like the deep distance of the mirror. And they're like these weird dark mirrors that have distortion and you can't see for very far. It, it kind of looks like, like a weird funhouse sometimes. Yeah. And it seems like this couple should be if we've seen the movie already, that it should be Delphine Seyrig and Sasha Pitov, uh, A and X, or sorry, A and M, but it's just echoes of them. It's it's some other couple who's who could be them in another version. You know, if the cards were played out in a different way or picked up off the table differently. Right, right. They're like, you only pretended to listen to me. Uh, you can find me in a whispering silence worse than death. And they just kind of walk past making this argument. And this is an argument that would totally fit with any of our three characters. 
<laughs> they they say this. There's always that like, you're only pretending to listen. You don't. You're not understanding what I'm saying. I'm not understanding what he's saying either. <laughs> <laughs> and they they like walk out of the room and they talk about being like coffins buried side by side in a frozen garden. Huh. Yeah, like they're all ghosts. They're all fucking dead. Uh, and and it's th this is. They pass the guy who's coming back the other way, and he's saying, I can't remember. It was either 28 or 29, and sorry the second time we've heard that. <laughs> yeah, somebody in the audience was talking about that, too. Yeah. So, again, we're talking about the freezing, and this guy comes back, and like, oh, freezing. I know something about that. That was either 28 or 29. And he, uh, that guy passes back into the room, and there's A standing in the doorway where she was not before when they went out. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is when I finally started to think, oh, hey, is she going to be, is this a character that's going to matter? Yeah. <laughs> is something going to happen? <laughs> One thing that I think is interesting in terms of the uh, uh, the way the visuals and the dialogue very frequently are against each other, uh, there, there's the couple leaving. And they're like one of the last things they're saying as they're going away, you know, they talk about the coffins and the silence and freezing, which is all of the stuff that everybody's talking about. They talk about being almost hand in hand. But if you watch them, the man's hand is angled away from the woman behind his back. <laughs> hmm. And then the uh, approaching guys, they like the 28 or 29 dude and the other dude, they have the exact same positioning of their hands but in front instead of in the back because they're approaching us it's again echoes uh, visual echoes and uh, auditory not catch echoes any of that <laughs> <laughs> didn't say nope that was lost on me and one of the things with the freezing in 29 dude he's talking but there's the other guy responding to him and talking back but we just hear silence we only hear the guy responding the we only hear the freezing guy yeah, um, at this point they had done that a few times, so mostly with the narration just becoming hmm. silent randomly. So it didn't that didn't weird me out here. Yeah, but it's odd because there's only there's two people talking. We're only hearing one of them, which is also kind of true of the whole movie. We're sort of seeing one person's perspective. It's just not clear whose perspective we're seeing. Right. So those guys do a circle, and the camera stops on Albertazzi M. He's looking in the mirror. So, I, I guess shapes, before we get too deep, uh, what's the most important shape in this movie? Oh my gosh. Uh, um, the triangle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the game is set up in the shape of a triangle. Yeah, the, the game is set up in the, sh in the shape of a triangle. Yeah, yeah. They are a romantic triangle. They are the three points of a romantic triangle, supposedly, potentially. Uh, every to say square because the garden was shaped like a square. Yeah, but all of the trees are perfect triangles on it. That's true. Geometrically That's designed. Uh, and when the game is played, it gets down to three cards every time. Mm -hmm. So there's this woman, and I think this is the blonde lady who isn't Delphine Sereg. Uh, she's talking about the circularity of the idle rich being here. But she might also be talking about ghosts and all of them. She's saying, I don't even really like it here, but we always come back here. 
So is she referring to the rich coming back to the spas over and over again because that's where you go to rest? The the idleness of that lifestyle, the emptiness of it, or is it about being a ghost? I'm now imagining it that this hotel is Perkle Hell. I don't even like it here. It's this yeah. broke and dismal hotel. So there's there's a part where they're talking about Frank here. Uh, and there's something about him chaperoning someone, and there's a kind of a suggestion of potentially a rape taking place. Some sort of violence. Right, yeah. And this is just before we see the first playing of Nim, the game. He, he starts instructing on how it's played. Uh, and there, this is where they're talking about it. So what's the point of playing if you never, if you can't lose? And it's like, I can lose, but I always win because I'm the best at it. I'm, I, I run the game. Right. There's, there's got to be a trick, though. And it's two players only. Mm-hmm. But we're definitely a three-player game. So the 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 key thing, as I was saying earlier about the him always winning, but X never losing. The cards are laid out in a triangle, and the the rules, as stated at the beginning, is the person who picks up the last card loses. Right. He never picks right. it up. Every yeah, single time they play it, he just sits back and crosses his arms and like, well. Nope, I, I refuse to lose. It's like I'm just going to keep playing over and over again until I get the outcome I want, which is maybe oh, the end of this that's movie. Kind of what he does here in the yeah, movie, the yeah, whole thing, right? So, A watches a couple people flirt. Uh, a the woman, and you hear one of them say, "You're the same as ever," and they mention it's a strange place to be free. Which is a weird line. And then we go to X, and in the narration, he starts saying the same stuff. You're the same as ever, but you hardly seem to remember. Uh, And this is when we start seeing her just alone in this huge cavernous hallway. And we finally get a shot of him and her together talking. It's like, oh, hey, here are our main characters. What do you know? (laughs) It it takes about half an hour to get to this point <laughs> he's saying this thing that you hardly seem to remember and she laughs and he's like you never noticed all that like all of this up to this point the monologue the silence and the uh corridors connecting to rooms connecting to corridors it seems like he's just been saying all of that and she laughs and he's like what you never noticed this <laughs> <laughs> and he's like look i'll i'll be your guide as if they've never met before, and he's going to show her around the hotel. Yeah. And then they do a turn, and suddenly they're dancing together. It's the conversation seeming to continue into another place, but they're now dancing. And it's mm-hmm. a totally different time and place. But they've continued the same motion and conversation. Like, it, it's it's a match cut to the motion. They do this a lot, where they change position, and then they'll be continuing that movement but it'll be in a totally different place they'll be dressed different they'll be (laughs) it'll be like outdoors yeah yeah i've noticed it a lot i just never figured it out (laughs) yeah so a says does this hotel have so many secrets and x says oh a vast amount and she's like well why are you looking at me like that 
Like, well, you hardly seem to remember me. Because <laughs> she doesn't. She does not seem yeah. to remember the past. Only he seems to be able to recall what has happened before. And that it has happened before. Mm-hmm. So She's all just like, no, no, you got the wrong person. Well, I don't know if she doesn't remember or if she's refusing to remember, if she's blocking out the past. Because specifically at this point when he asks her this, she it kind of shows her pondering and we cut to the shooting gallery for the first time. Oh, yeah. So there's an act of violence that is committed against her at some point in the past, and it's not clear who committed it. It may have been X and it may have been M. Or it may have been both. They both may have committed violence against her. Okay, I... So the, the shooting gallery represents this. Uh, the shooting gallery, by the way, weird location, right? This huge... Really fucking, weird. Incredibly ornate hall with these beautiful tapestries and, and uh, all, all of this filigree, and they're just firing guns inside this hotel. <laughs> the gun room, he calls it. Yeah, long fucking gun room where they have the row of... Uh, the targets that are all like this row of men, which are exactly the same as the row of men who are turning to shoot them. But in the first time we see it, the person in the center position is X. Isn't he Isn't he there every time? No, it's different oh, okay. people. One of the times oh, okay. it's M, one of the times it's X. Uh, and a couple of times it's just some guy that we don't know. <laughs> usually we'll see two shots where they because they all do the turn and fire because they're facing the camera and they turn around to shoot also a very weird thing also weird because they're not looking at the target and they turn and fire uh, but the second time we see them each time like after it cuts to the targets and then looks back it'll be either m or x there in the center position right uh, so after that we cut to A again. She's in just sort of this very eerie, dark space, and she hears shots. There's like a distant boom, and she touches her chest. And in voiceover, X says that he first saw her at probably Fredericksbad last year, maybe. <laughs> right, here's where we start getting that. Or it could have been Marion's bad. Yeah. Uh, she was alone, apart from the others, leaning against a stone balustrade. And he starts describing the motion, arm half extended. And she's like, I doubt it was me. <laughs> and then the camera is like pushing in to just her. And then it pulls back and it reveals her and X, like the, that X is actually next to her. Uh, where previously she was just alone in the darkness in this shot. Right, yeah. The, uh, is this not the first time we see X? No. We've seen oh, him a few God. times already. Oh, he's like, The first time we see him is when he's looking in the mirror. Are you thinking of right, M? I, no, I remember seeing M because he looks distinct. X distinct. just looks like a guy. Yeah, X is in a bunch of places before this. He's looking in the mirror at the couple arguing. That's the first time we see him. Okay. And then he's in the middle of the people shooting. And he's been beside her a few times. He's been sort of talking to her. But here he appears again in the darkness, even though in the previous shot she was alone. Yeah, yeah. This I remember this one because I was like, oh, hey, he actually wasn't there before. He definitely was not. So this is where we start talking about the statues. 
and they're theorizing about their meaning. They're playing the game. They're interpreting art. Mm-hmm. And X but... says they could just as well be you and me. They could. <laughs> they could, I guess. <laughs> and the camera just goes away from him as he starts describing the scene. And it goes to this very dark room and it's just full of people. And it goes all the way through it and it finds him there. <laughs> Like we we go away from him and we go through this dark room of all these people and we go to the other end of the room and there's X again. He he's moved. He's teleported to the other side. He, he does that a lot. He does that quite a bit. All of them too. And then A walks out on the balcony, uh, it, but an indoor balcony. Like uh, I think this is maybe the shooting gallery because there's a balcony with the balustrade there too. Oh, right. This is <laughs> when we see the balcony from the other side, I guess. Yeah, this, this, okay, I know the one. It's indoors. There's some stairs. Yeah. And she does the movement. She, she, uh, she moves like he's described like a few minutes ago, where you were leaning against the stone balustrade, arm half extended. She does it. She, she makes that movement, but it's not in the same place as we usually see it. Mm hmm. So there's a part where she's walking and someone's counting and the the counting matches her footsteps. Just just a random thing. There there's someone counting and say one, two, three, four, five. And then we cut to the counting being M putting down the matches to start a game. I I feel like the like the game and the movements in the movie seem pretty central like the the way the the game moves seems to influence the way the movie moves and there's just okay you'll have to explain that to me but that's i that's kind of what i've been saying the whole time in terms of just the the game being like the movie is playing the game with the audience and the the people are the cards okay but they they don't get actively removed they just kind of stop showing up Right, but that's the movie removing them. Oh, they're okay. they're being filtered out. They're they're not our characters anymore. We get down to our three, and then we're playing those characters. But we keep doing it. We keep having all these people appear again. So, all oh, right, I guess so. So the there's some other guy, just some random dude who loses, and he walks away, and he's just mumbling about Frank as he goes away. Frank is referred to quite often, and I do kind of think it might be X. Not sure. It could be. Uh, but yeah, I, if you're not sure, then I definitely yeah. don't know. But X comes and he sits down at the table. He sets up the matches again. And he's like, well, what if you go first? Because all of the other times he's had the other guy go first. It's like, all right, maybe I can beat you if you go first. It, it seems like it's rigged to the person who plays first. Yeah. And so as they start playing... We get the empty rooms connecting to corridors. The mantra starts again. It's to a maze of identical paths. Because it's this repetition. It's them playing the same game over again, which has the same endgame every time. And it doesn't matter who starts it. it. It doesn't matter how it plays out. It's always turning out the same way because that's how the past works. You can't change the past. It's frozen right, into marble. Right. You can just change your memories of it. So he loses, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Necessarily. And there's this weird bit where we get this montage panning over all of these rooms of people who are totally still and silent, 
not looking at each other, but he's describing the hotel being empty. But it's so full. It's the fullest we've ever seen. It's just silent. <laughs> but now the hotel was deserted. Yeah. So this is where we get into the meat of his recollection. It was last year. Have I changed so much or are you pretending not to know me? And already he starts to be uncertain. It's like a year already, maybe more. And he says, it was in the Garden of Fredericksbad. You were alone. The Always, you were alone. Uh, and so we finally see her at the main balustrade, but she's not in the position he describes, but she steps into it after a second. It's It's the same lag, but it's like she has to follow his directions. She's like, okay, I will get into the position you recall me being in. And he says, you were looking down the central path, but she is not looking that direction. <laughs> she's looking into, she's looking to the left. Right. Uh, which I like, I don't, I don't know. It, it could be a representation of him not really recalling things correctly, which I think is reasonably likely. <laughs> he doesn't seem to have a very uh, strong grasp on what happened my honest interpretation at the very when i first saw this was he's gaslighting her the whole time yeah, he's I, like oh i definitely knew you it was in frederick's bed or marion's bed or whichever place that you were at is where i met you but it's not possible because there's evidence the the photographs right. yeah yeah it, I, it was until i saw the photograph that's what i thought yeah. that this guy was just creeping on her <laughs> So she turns around and he says he saw her, but she didn't seem to see him. And he says she looks alive. <laughs> but she he's kind of like, he, they're, they're among the statues and he's kind of like referring to her and it's like, oh, you look alive. Because you know, the rest of them are statues and they start discussing the statues. This is where they each have a theory on what the statues are supposed to represent and what their position means. Mm -hmm. So his, his understanding is that the man saw something dangerous and is protecting the woman. That's his reading. Mm -hmm. Whereas her reading is that the woman is pointing out something amazing that the man has missed. Could be either one. It could be either one in terms of them interpreting the art and that as well, that's a point towards the movie being like, well, interpretation, both interpretations are valid. You you can believe what you want to believe about the reality of this film. Uh, and both of these could be interpretations of what they're, the, the way they see things. Obviously, his is man-centric and hers is woman-centric. Uh, they both seem to think the other one is the main character. So they discuss the statues. And we see them in a bunch of different locations on the grounds, looking in different directions. <laughs> there's <Yep. laughs> there's one where the statue is down in the garden with the balustrade, like the whole thing moved. <laughs> there was one where I'm looking at it and thinking, if they're still in the location relative to the statue while they're talking, then they're in the water right now. Totally. And there are parts where it's just looking in, it's in the same place, but turned around looking in the other direction and x says don't give them names they may have had so many other adventures 
which again, these are characters who don't have names. We don't know what other adventures they had. <laughs> right. So there's the thing about the dog and he doesn't think it's their dog. He's like, no, it's obviously the, the dog is with his mistress. Like you can tell by the way, he's a, uh, uh, close up to him and it's like well it's because the pedestal is so small he's like well, he, he's deciding a technical issue and it's like oh well it's a small pedestal so they had to put place everything close together and like now you're critiquing the structure external to the art you're not looking at uh he, he's like uh, talking about the design limitations rather than interpreting as meaning in art mm-hmm so he asks her to look at a, this other statue and she's like, no, it's too far. <laughs> she won't, <laughs> won't leave the spot. And he's I like, just wait a few minutes. The statue might come to them. It might. He's like, please. And we cut to them on a staircase inside, continuing the same conversation as if like no time has passed between them. It happens a lot, but they've just gone to a totally different place. And she's like, it's impossible. I've never been to Frederick's bad. <laughs> which does not seem to be true because she'll think the things that happen like later on she's like oh maybe it was in frederick's bed that i met him this time uh much later on when she's talking to m right right so they they look at one of these paintings of the grounds because most of the paintings on the walls are also of the hotel <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> different versions and one of, of them it. is like the hotel with the statue or a statue but it's not the same statue but it's in the painting it's very similar like it's sort of a representation of the statue but it's huge and it like occupies half of the like one whole side of the painting and then you have the the hotel itself kind of small in the background again suggesting it being in a completely different place on the grounds mm -hmm. but she's obviously not even looking at it as they're talking about the statues in the painting again like they're examining it again but she's just looking in a different direction yeah and he's talking about, like, again, his interpretation of the man seeing danger and holding the woman back from it. But she's the one who seems to be aware of an actual danger approaching because we finally follow her line of sight and we see M approaching. <laughs> and he well actually is them about the meaning of the statue. Yeah, he's like, oh, well, it's Charles III and his wife. <laughs> this was during his trial for treason and it's... Um, it's made to look classical, but you know it's contemporary. They they made it afterwards. It was like made in the 19th century, but uh, you know th they would wouldn't have been dressed like this because you know it wasn't old Roman times. It was like a hundred years ago. <laughs> and I'm like, can you explain the movie to me too, please? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if he's right. <laughs> Well, he might just be making it up. He could be right because he seems to maybe represent the director or writer and that he is the one putting the cards down, but I don't know. <laughs> see, to me, I always thought of him, at least until the end, I thought of him as like the the giant in the, uh, the Black Lodge. Mm. Like he's part of it. Big Black Lodge energy to this hotel. Uh, I could definitely see Marion Bad also being a big influence on Lynch. This is very lynchy. This is a this is a lost highway. You know, they they are potentially ghosts who are just living through the same scenario until they get it right. They need to move on from their purgatory. So then after this discussion of the statues, we have just shots of them all alone. We have her looking at the statues alone, and we have X just 
endlessly pacing the corridors as he does. And as he talks about doing, it seems to be this is what he does anytime he's not with her. She's his only connection to this reality. And it kind of makes it sound like he's been pacing the corridors, just going up and down for months. Days, months, and years. There's a part where he explicitly says so. <laughs> like, ever since we last talked, that's all I've been doing, just walking and pacing these corridors. <laughs> we see A walking through this room, and everybody else is motionless. She's just walking through the crowd. One of them is M, and he is the, it's like he's a statue that comes alive and turns to watch her as she passes. It's very eerie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like following her with his eyes, kind of. Yeah, like he moves just like he turns his head. And she goes up a staircase, and again, the movements of the camera obscuring and making people kind of teleport in. Uh, it follows close to her as she goes up the staircase, and then it pulls back, and there's X again. He's just a couple steps behind her. And he's like, you were waiting for me. And she's like, no, why would I be waiting for you? <laughs> he's like, oh, you're trying to flee again. And it's like, I don't understand a word you're saying. <laughs> I am trying to flee because you don't make sense, buddy. He's like, I, I don't know what's going on. It's like, tell me the rest of the story, okay? I I'm not following. <laughs> he's like, okay, we met later. We met again later that afternoon. Where was it this time? And we just have this long, silent shot of his face. And then we cut outside to her alone in the garden at dusk. This is, I think, the first time we see her walking with the broken shoe. That comes up quite a bit as well. And sometimes oh, she's yeah, alone this... and sometimes she's not. Uh -huh. But he says, you were there with a group of friends. <laughs> yeah, he's describing some other scene. He's she's, not describing this scene. She's thinking about a different thing. It seems like yeah. we're following her thoughts and he's talking about this other thing and she's thinking about this other time that maybe is more important to her. Because like she seems to be lost in the garden, but he's talking about this thing that happened publicly with a bunch of people uh, where he's saying that she is intentionally avoiding his gaze. And it's like, I waited. I had time. I've always believed I have time. Which again... Time does not seem to be a thing that exists in this film. He seems to be the only one who relates to time. She doesn't seem to relate to time at all. Not really, no. Yeah, it's not clear how long she's been there or what she's doing there. <laughs> so this is the thing where he says that he made some absurd remark on some topic that they were talking about that she clearly had more expertise in than him. And he shoots her down and he's like, ouch, but we don't hear any of it. We just see it play out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I did like this part because it was like, yeah, no, you shot me down really hard. I don't remember what you said. And we just cut to his face looking like he's going to cry and all these people staring in su stunned silence like, dude, you just got Oh. Except the thing is, he says that he feels he's the only one who understood her response. Because that nobody else yeah, got Yeah, I think... I don't think that's true. Hard to say, because we don't see it. It's uh, intentionally left blank. And then it just suddenly gets dark. Like, it goes dark very suddenly. And someone starts talking about the play, Rosmer. And then we see them dancing in the dark room. Like, it... Again, time just sort of unstuck. They they continue the motion. They're 
dancing. And he's talking about the day again. And he's like, it was probably much later. <laughs> when she broke the shoe. Right. And the conversation continues, but now they're at the bar and they're each standing like three feet apart and they're totally still. And they're talking towards the screen, not at each other, but they're having this conversation. And people keep, like everybody else is moving. We're, we're seeing everybody else kind of circulating past the screen, walking in between them. Mm -hmm. So this is finally where we start talking about him going up to the room, which is the other key detail of this plot that may have happened a long time ago that we're trying to recollect. Right, yeah, he's talking about how he's going up in the room and she's wearing her white uh, nightgown and there's all the feathers. And no mirrors in this first time we see it, which is interesting. There are no mirrors the first time we see it, and it's extraordinarily bright, which is interesting because we're going from this dark place. It's like the memory doesn't want to begin. Like it, it stutters in, you know? Because mm. we get like a single frame and then we get like a slightly longer one and a slightly longer one. It keeps cutting back to them. And then we get her in this bright room, then back to them in the dark. And then finally well, that's we see Okay, it. that's what that was about. Yeah. So she's just there with a huge pile of shoes that she's looking through, sort of representing the broken shoe. She may have a bunch of broken shoes. That's kind of what I thought I gathered from this, is that she's just got all these broken shoes. And it, it's, it could be very much like the thing with the, the photos later. Where suddenly there's a whole bunch of the photos. So when she's looking at the shoes, she looks up and she laughs. But then it becomes this other woman laughing at the bar. And suddenly at the bar, A is struck with just this sense of terror. As if she's finally recalled her own death. Right. This is where she like screams at the bar, but also screams in the bedroom yeah and she's like backing away and she drops her glass at the bar and then we see m or sorry not m x approaching in the room and she seems to be terrified which suggests that there is potentially a rape that took place there uh, i believe in the original script it is explicit that there is a rape okay okay but it's made uh less clear in the film version mm-hmm so she drops the glass. It's, it's implied. It's implied, yeah. Uh, she drops the glass and everybody else is frozen, including her. Like, everybody freezes in place and there's a hotel attendant very slowly picking up the pieces. He's the only thing in motion. Right. <laughs> so M setting up another game. Dominoes this time. And there's just people talking in hushed whispers on a staircase. And then... Oh, yeah, they're like discussing... What's the strategy here? What's his play? What's he going to do? Mm, looks like he's... I think that's a little later. The, the one oh, where the, everybody is trying is like, oh, well, it's, you know, multiples of seven. And they're, they're all just like <laughs> different theories on how the game is played. Again, oh, okay, they're that's the audience. No, I think that's a little bit later. And they're, they're like, again, representing the audience interpreting the movie. Yeah, it's, you know, it's obvious. It's this. So X, walk in the corridors alone talking about always being surrounded by walls. Uh, and I never heard anyone raise a voice in this hotel. Conversations took place in a void, as if words meant nothing or weren't meant to in any case. But it made no difference. It was always the same conversations. 
So again, it could be about the idle rich, but it could also be that there is no concrete meaning here. <laughs> this is a mm -hmm. place of imagination, a place of uh, afterlife, place of purgatory. So X over here is some people talking about the fountain freezing again. He says last year. So then he goes to her and is like, oh, it couldn't have been last year then because uh, they said it froze last year. But at the same time, the people that he was listening to did not seem to be at all certain of how long ago it was. He's like, it was last year. Maybe. Was it last year? Yeah, no, they they just kind of walk away, leaving him there. He's not even part of that group. Yeah, and he goes to her and is like, oh, I, I mean, it couldn't have been last year because you know, the, the fountains froze last year. And it, it obviously wasn't a frozen fountain when we were doing this. And he's like, and I came to your room and you were alone <laughs> again over and over. And she, and we see her alone in the room this time. And she says, leave me alone, please. Mm -hmm. And then we go back to the conversation and she says it again, leave me alone, please. But she's not frightened in this version. Like in, in the hotel room, she seems a little frightened here. She's like, come on, go away. I'm done with this. <laughs> and he ignores and continues. Of course. Yeah. Uh, it's like, no, it couldn't have been icy last year. It was almost summer. Anyway, let's go to the concert. And they start walking. <laughs> She's like, okay, I guess so. She doesn't agree, but she walks with him as he goes. Yeah, yeah. I guess we're going to the concert now. And it's so weird. It's like they're all sleepwalking. They go so slowly. They don't say anything. They just start moving together. And like now they're circulating the hotel as a pair instead of separately. And then M just sort of appears out of an alcove. Like they pass an alcove and they pause and he just sort of comes out of a side street. <laughs> <laughs> Sup, go to the concert. Yeah. It's like, I'll see you at dinner. And then they keep walking. And X is like, the story is already over. A few seconds more and it'll solidify forever in a past of marble. And this is where we have that concert where the organ is just blaring as the <laughs> violins are playing. Oh, I, I didn't like the concert. <laughs> <laughs> then we have probably my favorite shot. Just it's iconic. It's usually used in most of the poster art. This shot of the grounds where the the very uh, geometric shapes, the triangular trees and the square rectangular bushes and all of the people arranged as if they're on a game board. With like their oh, shadows yeah, cast, kind of like frozen in place. Yeah, and they have these long shadows cast, but they're drawn on because nothing else is casting a shadow. Only the people. Oh, if you I look, the trees that. are not. The trees and shrubs are not casting any shadow. Only the people are. It's because they're drawn on the ground. It was shot at like high noon. They could only do one shot. Oh, yeah. I see. Cool. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. So they pan over the fountain, which obviously is not frozen. And we see them making out in the garden in sort of this weird side spot. Like they're, it, it, at first appearance, it kind of looks like they should be in the water based on where we've seen the camera move. Yeah, it, it looks like they're at the foot of the pedestal of the statue they've been talking about. Yeah. And maybe. And I think maybe they are at the foot of a pedestal of a statue. We don't see this one this time, but I think we do see the statue there a couple times. So it could be. But she says, probably is. She says, leave me alone, please. Again, but this time she's like saying it seductively while they're kissing and making out. Mm. Leave me alone, please. So again, 
which ones are true, which one's the real version of that. So we go back to the concert hall and she's got this very far away look and he's just staring at her. Obviously he's looking at her, but she's not looking at him. Ne never seeing eye to eye. Again, whose flashback is it? <laughs> whose, per whose point of view are we seeing? I is it consistent? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, so we see her sitting alone and he comes and sits down. But uh, she's sitting alone on this one couch, and he sits with this other couple at the next table. And he turns and he looks at her, and the others get up to leave, and she stands at the same time like she's maybe uncomfortable to be left alone with him? Yeah, that seems to be the case every time he uh, just appears in her life. Because it's like he seems to represent violence in a way, but it's also he represents concrete reality like he he re represents a thing that like you have to acknowledge that the past has happened and that you can go forward with it that you know there there is some sort of uh chronology to time uh. he, he's like holding her to a past like his affirmation is always you know everything's going to freeze into place as a single past Whereas I feel we're watching the whole movie through her point of view, where there is no concrete past that she has refused to accept any reality, uh, any past that has taken place. Okay. Yeah. So before we talked about this, I just always assumed we were going through, we were watching from his point of view. Because he's a narrator. All the time. Yeah. yeah. I think it's her most of the time. I think we're kind of seeing her reality. It's just he's the one directing it. He's guiding her back to reality from this non-reality that she's kind of trapped in. So one of the big theories on this movie is that M is her psychologist and that there is some sort of mental issue that she's dealing with and that that's kind of what's going on in the film. I'm not totally clear on how that fits together but it sort of relates to him later showing up and they don't have any sort of romantic mean to the way they uh interact with each other ever he's always just like oh well this is time to rest you know we're here to rest here yeah what when uh when he implied that m might be her husband i was just kind of like him <laughs> yeah I thought he was part of the Black Lodge. I didn't know you could marry the giant. Right, but even then, he's like, this guy who may be your husband. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so he's like, you never seemed to be waiting for me, but we kept meeting at every turn. So we see them walking in the garden, and he's like, but you always kept a certain distance, as if on some threshold. And he's like, come closer. And then we go back to the garden, and she's like, it's where they're making out against the pedestal and she takes his hands off her and is like, leave me alone, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, again, you're on the threshold of discovering this thing. He's like, no, I don't want it. Let's, let's stop. I don't want to recognize reality. And he's like, always walls, corridors, doors, and beyond still more walls. You have no idea what I've gone through. Now you're here where I brought you. So he brought her here? Question mark. Hmm. Uh, I, I missed that line, honestly. Yeah. Because uh, so like, it, it seems to be him bringing her 
to some form of reality. Uh, him trying to pull her out of whatever this is. She's like, who are you? He says, you know. She's like, what's your name? Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so the story continues in the room where the other couple just left, you know, where, where she stood up and then sits back down. So like they've been continuing the conversation, but now they're back there again. And he's like, you asked me not to see you again, but we did. And this is where he finally mentions that he'd asked her to go away with him, but that's that it's she's like, no, that's impossible. And he's like, no, no, it's the only thing possible. There's no other way for this to end, which I think might be true. Hmm. How, how so? Because it's how the movie ends. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, yes, but <laughs> they're stuck in a loop until she makes the choice to leave. Okay. Uh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> like it, she says it's impossible uh, to leave, and he's like, "That's the only thing that is possible to do. Everything else is just repetition in the past." So he's like, "Again, you were waiting for me." It's like I wasn't waiting for you or anyone. It's like it's as if you were dead, but that's not true. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> he does say like it's like you were dead and that's not true and then he waits probably you've already forgotten it all and she says what other life can you offer me and he's like this isn't about another life it's about your life i feel like yeah, this is all pretty I... key <laughs> 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 uh him sort of uh Say, like, no, I am trying to bring you back to your life and your memories and uh, establish a baseline, which she refuses. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, can, I can get, I can understand that now. So we're going back to the last evening. And he says it was the last evening. And she was scared. And again, we're we're describing her movements. There's an incomplete gesture of expectation, uncertainty, or appeal. And the, the camera's just focused on her face. And then, of course, like it, it's much like the other time when she's looking away and he's talking about the man saw the danger but and was holding the woman back, but she's the one seeing the danger because she's looking at M approaching. She M again approaches behind them. Right. And she's looking that way, but he approaches and then he hesitates in the background and then he leaves without doing anything or saying anything. Right, right. And X is, who is that? Your husband? <laughs> Perhaps. Because she doesn't respond. It's like, was that your husband? Perhaps. He was looking for you. And he talks about her fear of him coming back when he was in the room. So uh, X being in the room and her being very terrified of the idea of M showing up when he's there. Which does right. suggest some sort of illicit relationship. Yeah, yeah. And like later on, she says to him, like, hey, if you love me, get the fuck out of here now. Right. And it's weird because it, th this is where we see what would theoretically be the rape. Uh, he talks about pushing through all of these doors and closing them behind him. And then we see someone approaching her and she screams. 
And based on what we've heard, it seems like it should be X because he was the one approaching her in his recollection. But frequently, what she's doing doesn't seem to line up to what he's saying. So I don't know. Yeah. It could have been M. Because when we cut to the shooting gallery here again, M is the one in the middle. Mm -hmm. In this, this like right away. Yeah, yeah. He's he, like, this is right after he says, I'm going to the gun room. Uh, no, that's later. <laughs> oh, wow. Still? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> so uh, then we have the two of them watching uh, X and A watching from the balcony over the shooting gallery again. And it's her. No, I don't know the rest. I don't know you. She says, it's not true. And it says, if it's not true, then why are you here? Which we don't get any kind of an answer to. <laughs> well, she doesn't answer. She just deflects. She's like, your, your recollection is wrong. There's no mirror above the fireplace. There's a snowy scene, a painting. And, when and we... he's all like, <laughs> I, di I, I didn't say anything about a mirror. He's like, that's not what I'm talking about. That was, that was other stuff. I'm just describing the place. Because he has talked about the mirror earlier, but it was totally different from what he was talking about now. Yeah. And then they're walking and she's recalling the room. She's talking about how her recollection of the room is. So we're actually starting to see her push back with her own memories of the place, which are different. But one of the things that's notable is she will not accept mirrors. She won't look at herself. She won't reflect. Uh, there's that part where she's like walking along the wall and there's like the huge mirror and she's not reflected in it. Yeah. She's very carefully just outside of it. And then when she gets to the mirror, she goes up against it so that she cannot be reflected as she like moves along it. Oh, that's what he meant. Because what he's saying, you were like afraid of the mirror. I was like, she looks the opposite <laughs> of afraid of the mirror. She is basically making love to the yeah thing. she's not afraid of the physical mirror she's afraid of the reflection of the mirror oh that makes more sense mm. so uh right the camera's really slow while they're walking and she's recalling the room and then when she says she can't remember the camera starts speeding up really fast like she doesn't want to recall and this is where he finally brings out the photo it's like look Here's a photo of you. I took it last year. It's you on the bench. It's here in the garden. Uh, I had to insist on taking it so that you would remember the next time we did this cycle. Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, he doesn't refer to it being a, a yeah. repetition, but he's like, I had to make you let me take a picture so that I could show you the next time. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And then she's just like, well, anybody could have taken that. It's like, you've always been afraid, but I loved your fear that evening. So that sounds like rape. That does. Happened. But he also that says, sounds like rape happened. I loved you. You were alive. The word there is very interesting. <laughs> and he's like, it, it was probably not by force, but only you know. So what's by force? And if only she knows, it couldn't have been him. <laughs> right, right. So we see her walking away, and she's on the balustrade, and it's incredibly bright, and it's like the sunlight weakens her. Like, she's oh, a ghost. Yeah, she's like 
like a vampire. Yeah, some sort of supernatural being that can't be outside of this hotel. But it's because the the back garden isn't an exit. Right, yeah. It's just, you know, the it's the same maze. There's no consistency to the garden. The garden is just part and parcel of the maze of recollection that the hotel represents. So it's them in the garden, and she starts walking back, and her shoe breaks. Uh, we don't actually Which... see what's said, but this time, like, it's clearly nothing big. Like, they're just walking, and it breaks. Yeah. It's sort of been suggested it... in the past to be some sort of big deal. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, no, it just breaks. And it's interesting. When it happens, we don't hear what's said, but we see X turn and look at the camera. It seems to be the camera, but then we turn to where he's looking and it's the statues, but they're deep in the garden on the other side of where they've been. <laughs> and he says, that was the day that I took your picture and you asked me to give you a year to test me or forget all about me. But time doesn't count. Because <laughs> time doesn't matter. Time doesn't exist. I could see, I could see where she's coming from. Like, yeah, you know what? If we're both still here in a year, yeah, then I'll go with you. But then she refuses to acknowledge that a year has passed because time doesn't exist. So <laughs> any amount of time could have passed. And he's like, it is possible that you're ready, that we're leaving, that we are leaving. And she's like, where? Yeah. And he's like, I don't know, anywhere. <laughs> And she cries, like she cries a tear. And again, she's like, no, it's impossible. You'll leave alone. And he's like, no, it's too late now, which suggests he can no longer leave alone, which maybe he now is also dead. I feel like he's more recently dead. And she's like, yeah, yeah. She cries out no. And we see the light change in her room from day to night with no one in it. It's a very weird, yes. eerie shot. Just turns to candles. Mm -hmm. I, I I was looking for it because I thought maybe the whole room would have changed here, but just day to night. Yeah. So he starts talking about M having left after a fight. That they had some sort of violent argument and she's looking out the window to see where he is, like passing through the garden potentially, because this is where he says he's going to go to the gun room. Okay, yeah. Okay, now I know where we are. And she looks out the window at night and she sees the garden during the day. <laughs> and this is the part where she's walking along the wall, not being reflected in the mirror. And he's talking about how she's afraid of the mirror. Mm -hmm. uh, her movements obviously do not match the description he's giving, but she is in the feathery white dressing, dressing gown that she directly said, I've never owned a white dressing gown. Mm -hmm. But she's in this feathery gown that he's described. Yeah. And he says, I gave you this photo before, which, again, it suggests we're in a cycle. And how many cycles have we been through? And we'll see later that she's got a bunch of these photos in a drawer. A whole drawer full of them. So then we see her alone reading this book of poems by Rilke, and she's using the photo as a bookmark. And it seems to be something that she's very much accepted by this point, that she's and that she's had for a while, presumably. Uh. So he's like, all right, next day, I told you we were leaving together. And in 
in the uh, shot of it, she's laughing. He's like, no, you weren't laughing. <laughs> and like, no, that's not it. You were in your room. We had decided the day before that we would leave. So it's not just him deciding now. It's we made this mutual decision, the two of us. Right. And we see her in the room again, looking around, but time doesn't really fit again. Because he's like, no, I don't remember myself. <laughs> he's lost it now. It's like, did we did we decide that or was that me? I don't know. And M enters and he asks about the photo. Well, when was it taken? She's like, I don't know, last year, I guess. Maybe at Frederick's bed. And it's like, who took it? It's like, I don't know, maybe it was Frank. He's like, Frank wasn't here last year. He's like, well, it might not maybe. have been here. It Maybe it was have been somewhere. Could have been Frederick's bad. I don't know. <laughs> Do you not remember where you were the previous summer? I guess she doesn't. I guess they don't. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> if they went on a vacation, you'd remember if you went somewhere, right? Theoretically, one would. I would hope. Yeah. So he starts. They they talk about her afternoon. This is the only actual conversation M and A have in the whole movie. It's like, well, where were you this afternoon? I couldn't find you. It's like, oh, I was in the green room, the music room. He's like, uh, well, I didn't see you there. Well, I don't know. So was she with X cheating during that time? Maybe. He's like, get some Maybe. rest. That's why we're here. You need to get some rest. I'm going to go to the gun room. He's like, at this hour? I'm like, yeah, why not? Okay, and she, this is where she's listening for his footsteps, and he's the voiceover is talking about her listening for him leaving, and she can't really tell if he's left. Didn't hear the door close. Yeah. Does not hear the footsteps, mm. but maybe he took a different path. Maybe. And then X enters the room, and she gestures to him, like in sort of a shooing away kind of gesture or fear, and M steps out from behind a curtain and appears to shoot her. Yep. Uh, appears to. Appears to. Uh, we see her lying dead, but they're poses. Like, they're very distinctly actorly poses that she's doing that are not realistically depicting death. <laughs> like, one of them, she's lying on the ground in her feathers, and she has a finger to her lips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th these are like, oh, woe is me, for I am dead. Poses. Yeah, like she's in a play, like at the beginning, which is a play in a play. So we go into the hallway, and X is describing this death pose. And then he says, and now here you are again. No, that isn't the right ending. <laughs> I must have you alive. Alive as you have been every evening for days, weeks, months. He's like, no, no, that's not right. You didn't die. I don't want that to be the ending. I, I want. I need you to be alive, like you are and you've been. Ugh. So he's he's rewriting. He's like, no, no, I, I don't want to end that way. And she's like, I'm tired. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> we see her walking and walking away down this very big corridor, and we see X and M seated at a gaming table together, again. And there's this really long slow pan to her at the door watching and then x shows up behind her at the door 
<laughs> I love when they do that every time. Then who was game? Who was gaming. Uh, and then she's in the feathery gown in her room, and she opens the drawer, and there's just all of these copies of this photo of her in the garden. This has happened so many times now. How many years has it been? Uh, so M faces off against X in the game again. And this is where everyone is like, oh, I'm, I imagine it's multiples of seven. Uh, like, oh, it, it's all rigged and blah, blah, blah. This is a uh, this isn't looking this hasn't been a good year for the rookie X. <laughs> the champion M has been undefeated and X doesn't really seem to know the rules of the game. Yeah, and M is like, look, I'll let you choose. You can choose which one I'm going to pick first. He's like, you choose. It's like, okay, do that. But in the close-up shot, after we see all of these people discussing them in the background, the close-up shot while they're playing, it's just the two of them alone in a dark room with nobody watching. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they play it out. And he's like, oh, well, I lose. And he puts the dominoes that he has picked up back on the table with the couple that are there. And he makes a cross. Hmm. He sets them down in the shape of a cross. I thought he was. See, I thought he was just getting ready to <laughs> start the game again. But no, it it is distinctly a cross. Like a, a Christian cross type. So right, yeah. it's, again, it's him refusing to lose the game. Uh, but it's also him changing the game. It's like, all right. Because uh, like a cross definitely, a cross tends to represent death and life. Uh, usually you, you have the cross on the grave. You use that as a symbol for time of death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I like that. He's like, oh, well. I lose, but then he doesn't lose. Like, he refuses to lose. He doesn't pick the card yeah. up. He doesn't accept his loss. Yeah. So then we see A with a triangle of photos that she's set up, like the game. Mm -hmm. And then, and from a distance, we hear more people just theorizing on the way the game works <laughs> while she's doing this. And X shows up, and she backs up against her headboard on the bed in terror, and the camera just backs out the door and leaves. And then the camera's traveling down this bright, empty hall with no one in it. And we hear him talking again. He says, no, 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 it's not true. It wasn't by force. I don't know. So, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so now he's trying to change reality. Oh, man, I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if he's trying to change reality or if he's trying to assert reality. Uh, yeah, because yeah. he has this. This is the thing about the photo where she refuses to believe the reality of the photo because, like, oh, well, it's shot in a bedroom, but all bedrooms are alike. Uh, you know, and she was in this gown, but all gowns are alike, and all people look alike. You know, every, how can this photo be real? It could be anything, anything could be in this photo. That's not me. How can this photo be real when our eyes aren't real? Yeah, it's, it's that sort of idea, and he's like. All bedrooms are alike, but for me, that bedroom was like no other. There were no more doors, corridors, hotel. And he's like getting into the mantra again. Mm -hmm. So the camera shows up at the door again, in her at her door. And in extremely bright light, she opens her eyes in an embrace over and over and over again. 
suggesting something that has happened a bunch of times. Yeah, just a little different every time. Right. So it could be a thing where, like, maybe one of the times it was a rape and all of the other times it was not. We're Could kind of seeing be, the same thing. He's also going like, no, no, you were sincere. You were. Yeah. He's like, no, no. I, this was, I, I don't understand how we have such a completely different recollection of what happened. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so we see the darkened balustrade. It's silent. It's nighttime uh, over the grounds. They're totally empty. And it's the two of them meeting in the garden. And then on the balustrade again, she's like, can you just wait a little bit longer? Next year, here, same day, same time, and then I'll follow you anywhere. So this is the promise that she supposedly made. Did it happen? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut. I thought that might be her remaking the promise. It's like, okay, I know I said a year, but I don't remember that. So give me a yeah, year. Give me another year, which also could be the thing because it's clearly happened a bunch of times. So that could be it, too, that this is a time like, okay, give me one more year and we'll see. And inside, he's like, how long? And whose feelings are you sparing? Because is that guy her husband? I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I can't put it off again. So again, suggest that, again, this has happened a bunch of times. At least a few. He's like, as if you still hesitated to part with him. To part with yourself. Again, I feel like this is her moving on from this purgatory into a different reality. She has to part from the place she died. Okay. Uh, she's like, someone's coming. Be quiet for pity's sake. And they're back on the balustrade. Or no, no, no. Uh, this one, this is where there's the nightmare noise. Where he, yeah, they're, they're in the balustrade in the dark. And she's like, go away if you love me. And he jumps over the balustrade. And there's just yeah, like then, that awful fucking nightmare sound. And then when we see it, it's broken. Yeah. But first she screams and then we see her deep in the garden and then we see her in the bar and everyone's turned to look at her. <laughs> right. Because she had that screaming episode. Right. So it's going back to her having dropped the glass and M, uh, sorry, X being next to her at the bar, but technically appearing to not be with her. And M shows up and he stands between the two of them in the space that's left there mm -hmm. with his back to X, of course. Yeah. And he gives her a drink. He's like, it, it was just a dizzy spell. It's like, I'll, I'm just going to go upstairs. I'd rather be alone. Which again, she always wants to be alone. <laughs> mm -hmm. So M gives, or sorry, X rather, uh, again, goes into his thing. So I walked the corridors again, walking for days, months, years in search of you. Which again, it, like, it seems like he has just been pacing the corridors ever since. Which suggests him not being real or no longer yeah. being alive. And he's like, there can be no stopping between these walls, no respite. Which is interesting because this is supposed to be a place of rest, but there can be no rest. Right, even though there apparently was. He was saying earlier that there was. Yeah. Uh, there's this weird shot at this moment where we see her, but three of her. And they're all looking in different directions. Oh, yeah. She's in the room and there's the mirror and each of them are looking a different way. 
in in a sort of geographically impossible sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is where we cut to the broken balustrade, which is just like it was in the play. Okay, I, I did realize there was stuff. In There's a bit of stuff in between, and it's interesting that okay. it the the place it's broken is where he jumped. But when he jumped, he we saw him not break. Yeah, it. he just it, jumped. it was a small jump. Uh, it didn't go far yeah, down, I mean, but it broke no. the reality somehow. Y- yeah. So he's like, where are you, my lost love? She's like, here, I'm with you in this room right now. <laughs> it's like, no, you're not. That's already no longer true. And it's a weird moment where she asks him to take her hand, but he refuses. So uh, finally he's like, Tomorrow I'll be alone. Uh, or sorry, M is saying, tomorrow I'll be alone. I'll come here and find your room empty. So M being aware that she is actually leaving now. This maybe is happening in real time as much as any real time exists. That's because she leaves. That's the feeling I got for this part. Yeah. yeah. So X in voiceover, he's telling her, uh, you don't remember what just happened downstairs? <laughs> just now? When this man who may be your husband had gone, uh, whom you may love, whom you'll leave tonight forever. And we again see him playing dominoes. Or we see him at like a table, uh, not playing the game, just playing yeah, dominoes. Playing actual and it's, dominoes. it's clearly near end game. Like it's very heavily built up. They're, they're just about done. Mm-hmm. And X is talking about him not showing up. Like he should have come. He could have taken you back. Yeah. Uh, which again suggests that he is a husband and that he could have still had her, like that he chose to leave. Like it was his choice that uh, allowed her to go. Uh, he would have had to leave to play early, though. You gotta <laughs> see how it ends. Yeah, he's like, everyone was at the play and she'd been excused because of her fainting spell that we saw. So that's why she wasn't there, mm-hmm. even though in the first time we saw her in the movie, she was at the play. <laughs> right. It's the first time we see her. But of course, M is there in the audience. And they're saying, yeah, he would have had to leave before the final act if he really wanted you to stay. And I don't... There's a suggestion that he knows this. Even though it's yeah. never been stated to him. Yeah, I don't know if he does know this. It's weird, because she's like waiting at the bottom of this staircase for either of them to show up. Uh, whichever one shows up, she's like, you can't show up until midnight, X. Uh, And if I'm still there at midnight, then we go. But if he shows up, I stay. Maybe all the other times he showed up. Maybe. But this time the play was running late. Maybe it always was. I don't know. Maybe Maybe the other times he just left. Because he knows that he has to leave to do this, to retain the cycle. But... Mm. She tears up the letter that she has and she arranges the pieces into a triangle like we do. It's just playing the game. Right. Then X shows up and the clock chimes midnight and they leave. They walk away from the camera, but they're not moving towards anything that looks like an exit. They look like they're moving deeper into (laughs) the density of this hotel. Yeah, yeah. It looks like they're just going down another one of the endless corridors. And M comes down the stairs where she was waiting, and 
X's voiceover just starts describing the place again. It's like, well, at first glance, it seemed impossible to lose your way. At first glance. Yeah. And then we see that weird external view, the, the kind of just chilling final image of the place. There's seven lights on in different rows. Oh. <laughs> uh, which again, like the rows is important for the way the thing is set up. The bottom row of the triangle is uh, is a number of seven. And they talk about it being factors of seven. So I'm not quite sure what the seven comes into here, but we do have those lights on. Mm -hmm. But the voiceover continues where even now you were losing your way forever in the stillness of the night, alone with me. So I don't think they're actually leaving the hotel. They're just nope. going into it as a pair. Like they're no longer solitary they're not alone circulating the quarters they've paired up so i was under the impression they got lost in the garden and they're still there because <laughs> at first you know it doesn't look like you're going to lose your way in the garden at first but there's no hedge maze or anything like again this shining stuff because the the hedge yeah. maze is added to the shining by kubrick that's not in the original book right so I do think there is an amount of the garden being this garden of forking paths. You know, it doesn't add up. None of the place, well, none of this does. Uh, there's no concrete reality or uh, location to anything. Uh, but yeah, that is the end. They walk away. Maybe they walk in. <laughs> they walk. They walk. <laughs> They're still. They walking. walk together Even now. Yeah. Like, again, I, I don't know necessarily what it's about, but it's fun to watch it and pick at pieces of it. Like, you can go through it and just focus on any one thing, and you can come out with a completely different idea each time. Yeah, see, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I was, at first I was just like, okay, this guy is stalking this woman, and he's trying to gaslight her into thinking that it's this whole relationship that they had but then now i don't know yeah i don't buy I just, that i i think that's too literal that's that's too just I, this I don't is think reality that's it either it's just that's the only thing that my brain would accept at first until it became impossible to do so yeah it doesn't really work i i feel like it's supposed to be meta like we we are in a fictional space and we're sort of actively in a fictional space uh, as i said it's the movie playing with the audience it's like okay let's play a game we're gonna play a game of movie interpretation <laughs> you're gonna i don't know the rules of that game though yeah it, it the, that's the thing there are no rules to the game you just have to have imagination and uh, be able to read cues uh but yeah i I fucking love it. I think it's a masterpiece. Uh, it, it's better every time I watch it, uh, just because I've been playing the game. You know, you keep playing the game. You have, like, the outcome never changes, obviously, because it is an existing document. It is frozen yeah. in marble in the past. Mm -hmm. But you can change your interpretation of it. Like, uh, your interpretation of it can change and evolve, just like your interpretation of events in the past can. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know. A any last thoughts on last year at Marion Bad before we... I don't know if I have first thoughts. <laughs> uh, 
Ah, you may have needed a month for this one, like we did with Certified Copy. <laughs> oh, at least, at least. Uh, but it's it's one I I heavily recommend. I love it. It just there there's it's it's a movie about appreciating art. It's a movie that just wants you to reflect on it. Uh, it, it it is movies as art rather than just strictly as plot as entertainment. That's something that I have a hard time with. I love that shit. It's one of my favorites. Like, uh, I, I really dig that. And I feel like this is a movie that maybe does it better than any other because it's focusing on that as its concept. Like, it's it's using that as a way of uh, interacting with the audience. All right, well, let's move on to part two. And we're back for part two, where we've got Two additional films to talk about. We're starting with Michael Ritchie's 1972 feature, Prime Cut. You know, real 70s new Hollywood crime film. This is interesting because feels like, well, it doesn't feel like he is fighting a themed gang. Yeah. Uh, the meat theme to this, the meat processing theme as sort of a mirror to the prostitution racket in it, the the sex slavery racket that they're doing, uh, is interesting. Uh, and th that's sort of what makes it a new Hollywood film to me, is that it is this paralleling, that we're using a crime film to talk about both the prostitution racket as well as uh, the meat business in America. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, they... They really, they really hit the uh, the nail on the head with the metaphors when they've got the the auction and yeah, the prostitutes are in like these cattle gates and they're lying in a yeah and you know they're drugged and uh, yeah uh, it, it's it's distinct and I mean right even from the opening thing where we have the guy being processed <laughs> the shoe falling on the conveyor belt so sausages we're we're seeing how the sausage is made for the <laughs> opening scene it's where we start with our uh what's the guy's name the mary mary sue's weenie. mary lee's bro weenie yeah his name is weenie he is a weenie he's a weird <laughs> dude he is strange i don't get his deal um there is supposedly kind of a suggestion that the two of them are a couple uh, i thought they were i thought they were brothers they are Oh yeah, uh, it's it's right here in the opening write-up on Wikipedia. Uh, controversial for its hint of a homosexual relationship between the two brothers. Whoa, that flew over my head. <laughs> yeah, I'm reading that and I'm trying to think. Like, I don't recall that, and I have seen the movie a couple times, but yeah, maybe I I'll mean, have to keep an eye on it next time I watch it. The closest they are to each other is when they're roughhousing, but that's normal roughhousing it's very brotherly stuff but yeah i don't know they they are weird and that guy specifically is really weird mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh yeah so i these meat machines uh terrifying freak me out yeah like like the fact that they just with surgical precision just load all this flesh goo into these sacks and like twirl them around and it's all done automatically and you'll just lose your hand if you even try to touch the damn thing yeah i mean that, that's a thing that'll happen yeah. uh 
you know, people fall into these machines sometimes. It's just like I mean, you, you get the same at like a recycling facility where you have one of those uh, crushers or whatever the fuck they are that just destroy everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ultra shredders. Yep. <laughs> and as we're seeing the machines do their thing, we just see like a cow walk through a gate and then behind him is just a human ass. Yeah, you got this guy, uh, which we will learn is one of these Chicago Irish mobsters uh, who was sent to collect the money and uh, they did not <laughs> want to give the money. So he's being processed. I really like just the way we follow him down the line. Weenie hits him on the head with a hammer and yeah. then he just goes down the line. As I mentioned last week, the very great image of all the hoofs going along the conveyor belt and his shoe tumbling <laughs> down onto it. That's good. One of the, one of the, it looks like a cow's leg, but it has a wristwatch on it. Yeah. I, I really like the way they do that, that it's got kind of this surrealist feel because you wouldn't have the pieces of this guy going through on the line with the cattle with everybody else still working there <laughs> <laughs> well there's the one part where he tells the one guy's like hey take a break this is a special order yeah and he like marks off the sausages at the spot where the guy is supposed to be <laughs> so not yeah, as precisely just... as you would kind of hope I, I i would be a little concerned uh, but yeah, they they send them uh, to Chicago, <laughs> and and we first see the the sausages when the Chicago Bob boss guy is showing them to our main character Nick uh, Delvin or Devlin Devlin Devlin, uh, played by Lee, Lee Marvin. Marvin. I love Lee Marvin. Uh, I don't know if I've seen Lee Marvin prior to this. Uh, he's just one of those dudes. He's in everything. Uh, maybe most famously, Paint Your Wagon, where he sings. Oh, you don't want to hear him sing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he's fantastic in Point Blank. Uh, that's one. That's maybe my favorite of his, where he's a walker uh, character who's in a bunch of movies, uh, but like none of them are actually technically related, but they're... Uh, a series of Richard Stark novels, these pulp series, and uh, that one's just awesome. Heavy, heavily featured in Los Angeles Plays itself. Oh, cool, cool. But yeah, he is in so much stuff over the years. I <laughs> Let me see, what, what might you know? The Dirty Dozen? He's like the major, like the, the leader of the Dirty Dozen? Okay, uh, I've heard of the movie, but I don't think I've seen it. Hmm. See, it's all going to be movies I've heard of, but I don't right. probably haven't seen. Yeah, there is another one of his on the stacks right now, Dog Day, which is a oh, okay. French movie. Okay, cool. Yeah, he's just one of those dudes. He's in so many movies over the years. Hmm. I had been looking at that one, but I don't think that's in our current stack I, pick that no, we're going to do tonight. No, no, it is not. <laughs> so the boss is like, hey, so... There's this whole thing. Marianne down in Kansas City owes us half a million dollars. And Nick is like, well, why aren't you sending your own guys on this? Why get me? He's like, well, we did send our own guys. Yeah. But you see. Yeah, we sent our guy and they hand him the package. So it's the package <laughs> of sausages. looking hot dogs. A bunch of sausages that they made of the guy. Uh I, I like when he goes to the mobsters that are going to go help him, like the guys who were sent as backup, and it's like, yeah. well, what do I do with these? Like, was he a good guy? Like, yeah. 
bury him. Bury him. <laughs> so, so yeah, he he agrees to take on the job as long as he gets his fifty grand, which I think he should have asked for more. Yeah, I think this is more than a fifty grand job. Yeah, I don't know. I it also seems like he's just kind of under their thumb, and it's a thing he needs to do. So it's like, well, I'll get my pay. He yeah. he is an enforcer, but he kind of clearly works for the mob. You never get out of the mob. Well, yeah, that's true. He's like saying, he's saying to them, he's like, I'm taking my rest right now. And the guy's like, eh, no, not really. You're yeah. not. He he knows that he kind of has to take the job. There there is an, yeah. an amount of requirement to it, but you know he has these young guys that are going to go with him. I don't think any of them end up getting turned into sausages. Uh, they do not get turned into sausages, <laughs> but only one comes back. Right. Yeah. They, well, actually, the one guy might survive. One guy definitely doesn't. Yeah, there's one guy who gets killed, but uh, they. I think it's just in like that final thing, right? Everybody kind of makes it through near for most of it. Uh, the the guy with the mother gets killed under the bleachers at the fair. Right. It was at the fair. Uh, yeah, because he has to go meet his mom and pick him up at his house. It's like, my mother wants to meet you. Like, <laughs> Great. I do love how fed up Lee Marvin is with everyone and everything the whole time. That's kind of a <laughs> Lee Marvin kind of deal. That's how he performs. <laughs> yeah, he 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 definitely. Yeah, it's just cool <laughs> that to comes see. Through. He he's such a good contrast for Gene Hackman, who's got just such a volatile, nervous energy. Whereas just uh, Lee Marvin, it's it's an intentional flatness. It's like, yeah, I'm not getting excited for you. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like like when later on when they meet up and Hackman's like trying to be like, oh, you Irish people with your yeah, we have obviously tempers. I know. Let's move on. Yeah, like yeah, let's move on from that. You eat guts. Good line. <laughs> uh, yeah, and just Hackman shoveling food in his mouth like, between every line <laughs> and like goading him and trying to get him mad and just doing so much and Lee just like. No, no, I'm not gonna do it. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Lee Marvin. What are you? You gonna make me make an an expression? Yeah, you brought the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, yeah, our three guys. We have uh, Delaney, O'Brien, and Shaughnessy, and I don't know which one is which. Yeah, I don't know. They don't matter. They don't do <laughs> they, almost anything in the movie. They die. One of the guys dies at some point. Yeah. Uh, the the only thing the closest that they get to doing anything is they they have him meet one of their mothers. Yeah, like in that first scene, and I I always think it's like I don't remember what happens to them. I know no one ends up getting processed into food again, even though it is threatened when they get there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ah, I wouldn't turn you into sausages. Make you into an Irish stew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's like don't turn my guys into hamburger. Not hamburger. <laughs> turn you into an that. Irish stew obviously <laughs> yeah uh, that's actually next uh, yeah they they do like the long drive to kansas <laughs> i love the guys the young guys are talking it's like you ever been to kansas city no what's there to do there and i'm like you guys aren't even gonna live through this <laughs> yeah there, there's nothing for you guys to do there you're doing a job here man for the mob <laughs> yeah uh and and it's super dangerous i do like just the the, the contrast between Chicago and uh, Kansas City in terms of both the crime, but they're also kind of contrasting them in terms of 
like the way the crime works is also the way the meat business works uh and just generally farming and stuff uh, that we're we're kind of contrasting how chicago it, it's something that hackman says mary uh mary lee said marianne sorry marianne marianne says a couple times that you know chicago is an old sow begging for cream she melted down <laughs> for fat uh <laughs> that meat metaphor he loves his meat metaphors it's all he does it's the best <laughs> but it's it's this idea of they're living off the money that is made through the business that he creates but they're not generating it they're like as i said last week the farm to table element they're the farm but the other guys are the table uh mm. and it's the same with like chicago is very known for having a meat packing district uh kind of famously has all the cattle yards around the trains and stuff but they're not where the stuff's done <laughs> oh, okay. you know the 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 actual uh the the process the business all starts in kansas city now you know it, that's where the farming is done that's where the slaughtering is done that's where all the processing is done and it's the same thing that they're doing with the prostitution business where they're raising right, them there they're gathering them there they're bringing them all over the place and they're distributing them uh they're literally raising them up from children to be prostitutes gross real thing uh real yeah uh but it, it's it's just like um we're we're seeing how the sausage is made, but it, it is Lee Marvin having to come and see how the sausage is made vis-a-vis -vis the sex business. And he doesn't like it. He's been... The crime sausage. Yeah, he's been living off it, or his mob is living off it up in Chicago, but they don't... Uh, they're, they're disconnected from the, uh, the means of it. Mm -hmm. He's kind of forced to see it. And obviously... Uh, Marianne is totally cool with being at it. Like none of it oh. bothers him. No, he loves this shit. He he likes it here better than he likes it in Chicago. It's yeah, kind of implied that he was at Chicago at one point. He's definitely been there, but he clearly is very much a Kansas guy, and it is his yeah. place, and it belongs to him. And, and also, like, there's there's a race thing there because he's like, no, no, I'm a pure American. Yeah. I was here when your grandpappy came over. Right. Yeah, exactly. He, uh, well, I mean, the Irish uh, often yeah. persecuted in American history. Not so much these days, uh, but, you know, have been definitely persecuted over time. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, any outsider, obviously. But. Yeah, there there is a racial element to it, just as again, these the uh, the strongholds of conservatism uh, versus the uh, uh, the the democratic cities. You know, we get the rural versus uh, city element, R rural versus urban, I should say. Yeah, that, that's another kind of thing that Hackman mentions to him as like chicago you could just take a cab over to your territory uh you gotta drive pretty far to get out of hackman's territory though mm -hmm. and uh, they tend to not be able to drive far enough fast enough no i mean they're, they're, it's the fucking corner gas joke you, you see the dog run away for three fucking days <laughs> it's a huge empty flat space <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yeah, it's exactly that when they're running away from the combine later yeah. on, and like they see <laughs> their car coming up, but it's so far away, and it takes so long to get yeah. to them. It's like, oh god, I hope it gets here. <sighs> yeah. So when they get to Kansas City, the first stop is this uh, weird car hotel. I don't really understand it, but it just looks like a cheap place for the working man to lie down for a bit. I guess. I suppose. You know, the, uh, the a very basic motel. These things, I don't know. That's a weird bit of roadside Americana that I kind of love. Weird old motels and the the designs they've had over time because some of them have no mm. amenities. Oh yeah. Well, this one, there's like you pay money for space at a table to sit and lean on it, and, like put your head down to sleep if you can't afford a bed. Yeah. And uh, Weenie apparently lives here. Right. It's like just a flop house and it's gross. <laughs> but he's got like his own bedroom up at the t in the second floor, even though he's like the second in command of this like huge criminal enterprise. It just seems like he's a gross guy because like he's <laughs> he's eating a bunch of gross. Like I think he's eating some beans out of a can when we see him. And he's just yeah. a gross dude. That's his whole deal. It doesn't seem like, it, it, like it, I'm sure he has money to live anywhere he wants. It, he chooses to live here because this is how he prefers to live. Oh, for sure. Like we've when, even when we see him in the meatpacking plant or the, or the whatever the butchery plant, uh, like they've all got their fancy white coats and their hard hats and everything, and he's got his dirty ass wife beater always yeah exclusively <laughs> uh, that is his uniform yeah uh and, and this is where like lee marvin threatens him he's like okay i'm in town i'm here to see marianne don't turn my guys into hamburger right it's like it's not hamburger turn into irish, irish stew. stew yeah and he like stomps on his foot or shoots his or stops in his hand, or shoots his hand, or injures it somehow. Yeah, we, we see him bandaged up the next time we see him. So, next is the auction, right? Yes, yes, the auction is next. Uh, they just threaten the two Hick guards to get in. The auction and is yeah, very he, eerie. Yeah, it, it's a yeah, very strange yeah. thing. I, I like the way it's sort of gradually established that we see all these fucking high rollers, these rich dudes gathered around the pens, but we don't see what's in them for, for quite a bit. And then finally... We get close up enough to see him like, oh, that's fucking disturbing. <laughs> yeah. I, I also like, like, we see how far he they have to drive from the gate to the building where the auction's being held. Right. It, it, it is a very uh, prone position for them to be in because, you know, a few guys with guns can take them out in the very long drive. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it is the, the inherent threat of just these huge open spaces that you control. Yeah, yeah, they they are not getting help when some one one of their guys dies. No one's coming to replace them. No, no, exactly. <laughs> but we meet we meet Marianne, who we've been hearing about, and I wasn't expecting Marianne to be Gene Hackman's character. <laughs> he's great. He's eating. <laughs> he's he's eating a stomach. I think like a a, a yeah, pile of sheep like guts, this. cow guts. Yeah, and yeah. I I do love that line. You eat guts. He's like I like organ meat <laughs> he's like yeah, stop fucking flesh. eating while i'm talking to you <laughs> <laughs> and he's like and hack was like okay i guess i gotta actually have a conversation with you so that's where he starts going off into like oh yeah well this chicago's a sow and it's 
old sow begging for cream should be melted down for fat <laughs> that's it yeah. yeah and he introduces the girls he's like human flesh cow flesh it's all the same to me i just sell meat right uh and one of them uh like they're they're going by and sissy spacek poppy happens to say help me to devlin and i i think it's i, I think specifically they chose sissy spacek for red hair you know irish uh to kind of be the one who calls out and he's like he can't say no he has to help her and he's like I, all right well i want the fifty thousand or want the five hundred thousand tomorrow at whatever time and i'm taking her too <laughs> yeah i'm taking her on account yeah <laughs> on account of what <laughs> i love that yeah. a bit later on <laughs> so she yeah so he... she tells him about the the industry which is quite disturbing yeah she was literally raised up from a child uh in this orphanage specifically for this sex working auctioneering purpose and she's kind of never known anything but being prepared to be a sex slave and that's kind of been her whole life just just uh nightmarish yeah when she wakes up on the bed in the hotel room completely naked the first thing she asks is am i a present <laughs> yeah because what a fucked up thing to think have to think right because i mean that that is what she's been trained to expect she's being sold uh the, this is a sex slavery ring and yeah she, she she's pretty surprised when she's semi-free mm -hmm. and this bit's a little weird when she goes down with devlin in the in the see-through uh, green dress yeah, and everybody's looking at her because it's the one she chose and he did not want to be rude is like okay mm. you can just choose whatever you want and then uh i'm lee marvin and people will be scared of me so if i look at them <laughs> they will stop looking at you and that is exactly what happens <laughs> exactly what happens everyone's staring at her and he's just like yeah you just turn you see lee marvin looking at you like i don't need to look at this anymore i'm fine <laughs> it's good I, I feel like i've been put into my place without any words yeah i know lee my marvin place. can do that it's great <laughs> we get the the scene in uh marianne's house where they're where him and weenie are roughhousing with the bankers trying trying their damnedest to do their work when these guys are like fighting on top of them yeah that stuff's weird i i, I have to su suspect that it maybe has something to do with that that they're talking about on wiki i have no idea <laughs> like after I reading that i was like what is that i need to watch the movie again now <laughs> didn't see any homoerotic tension in there i just didn't yeah it seemed uh yeah i don't know i really have no idea yeah. but i'll have to watch for it next time <laughs> uh but weenie grabs uh violet from the the weird greenhouse where the girls are raised and sleep yeah that's another weird thing again just keeping them in pens keeping them in these garden areas again just sort of associating them with livestock and agriculture as just another yeah. element of that uh so violet specifically is the girl that poppy talks about having been friends with in the orphanage and the two of them uh having been kind of a couple there essentially like she she has this discussion with lee marvin about uh them making each other feel better uh yeah so it's it's her friend yeah they they describe each other as like sisters but they also say like 
oh, well, sometimes we would touch each other, you know, just when things were bad, just to make ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, they're yeah. making each other feel uh, better in the orphanage, but uh, they, uh, we see her at the fair the next day, which is just, it's so weird to have them mixed in with the activity of the state fair. Yeah, because we have Hackman, like, doing state fair shit and, like, talking to children and stuff. Yeah, as, like, a, a known businessman, you know, a, a major yeah. wheel in, in local business, a guy who just everybody knows and is uh, sort of like the mayor of the fair kind of deal, but yeah, he's got this sex slavery stuff running in the fair, even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love the one part where, like, he judges the children's cows that they've raised. Oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, you're the first place. All right, count them out. He's like, this one's my pet. I mean, it was the second place kid. And like, hey, oh, count him off, Lou. I'm like, yeah, oh, you did pretty good there as well. And he's like, yeah, count him off, too. He's like, this is a pet. I was like, yeah, well, you know, bring me another one this good next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, he gives him the water bills. Pets, no. He's like, no, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> pets caring about livestock? What's this about? Caring about anything. He doesn't character. care about anyone, anything. He doesn't care about people no. either. Doesn't care about his quote unquote wife? Right. The wife who. Clarabelle. I don't know what. So Clarabelle is also, she's previously the wife of Marvin's boss in Chicago. And has, and is definitely has some sort of past. To had a, yeah, there there is a past with a, Lee Marvin as well. Yeah, yeah, it's implied they had an affair, or she tried to have an affair with him, one or the other. Yeah, I don't know. They there is some sort of past. It's obviously why she's here and not in Chicago. Yeah. She had to get away from whatever bullshit drama was there. Yeah, and she is. She's Marianne's girl now, but <laughs> she's like, I wouldn't mind being a widow. Right. Later on. Yeah. Well, I mean, Marianne's gross. <laughs> He's a yeah. And fucked up dude. Uh, yeah, he is. Uh, I love the bit with like the, the milk fountain and they're like, oh, these guys are the experts from Chicago. Right. And Lee Martin like, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. And he, he like has a ribbon that he finds and he just puts it on it. Like, <laughs> yep. First prize. Right. Real good milk. Good milk. Oh, you really know your milk. I, and then, of course, when the gunfight happens, the the milk fountain, the cow-shaped milk fountain gets <laughs> shot. And it's like, that's not fair. Man, I laughed so hard when that old woman complained about the cow milk getting shot. Yeah. <laughs> just the way she... <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the whole state fair is just this weird sort of carnucopia of Americana, and then just there's this dark underbelly under it. Again, real new Hollywood shit. Uh, yeah. So... It, the, the, both seeing the reality of it and then pushing it a little further to have just sort of this weird, really dark unreality under it, where, like, for some reason, they have Violet tied up in a pen with cattle. <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck? And that's drugged. That's where Space, like, yeah, that's where Poppy finds her, and that's what starts the gunfight. Yeah, she's like, what are you doing here? And she tries to get her out, but they hang on to her and then. They have to run because now they have too much attention on them. Yeah, and now the now the thugs are after them. And I love the bit where like they run out into the firing range where there's the turkey shooting competition. Right. And the thugs trying to get out there, but he's got his rifle, so the guy's like, "No, no, you can't go there. Yeah, you can't go out yet." And there's like, hey, and they're like, it's him and Poppy on the grounds, and uh, the announcer's like, uh, "Will you 
will you guys please get off the grounds? You're not supposed to be there. And they kind of just like waves and draws a lot of attention to themselves. Like you can't shoot me if there's a whole fucking crowd looking at me. <laughs> then they this is when they get chased by the combine harvester rules oh, th okay this is my favorite part of the whole movie is the shit with the combine harvester it's awesome because like it's it's not every time so in movies when you're chased by something like this combine harvester they're always just running in the same direction as it even though they could run sideways here they run sideways and the thing's just chasing them anyways yeah and it's, they they being smart they appropriately do serpentine movements and it just follows them around because you, know, yeah, you can do that that's what you do yeah but this thing also is can apparently turn well they can they are pretty maneuverable i think they're fairly maneuverable i don't know like these in the 70s if they were super maneuverable well, they're much more precise these days but I, well, I, I also don't know if in the 70s they could mulch a car. Right, that, that it does also seem a little <laughs> bit absurd when... Like, I, I think it's intentionally supposed to be oh. absurdist at, at various points. Oh, Anytime we have the crime coming directly into contact with the agriculture, I feel like we're kind of playing with some absurdism. But yeah, they bring up the car and they drive it into the front of it and like everybody rolls out and just it gets fucking mulched <laughs> in there. It's so cool. <laughs> And it, like it keeps cutting to the, like the car getting crunched and like back and, like, end everybody's... stuff coming out, all like pit <laughs> bits of car being rocketed out the end, and then like finally a big hay bale with bits of car stuck in it. It's, that's awesome. It's like it, it's like one of those long running gags, overly long running jokes that just gets funnier the longer it goes on. For it's pretty funny. But yeah, the, the <laughs> bale of car and hay at the end is is quite a funny <laughs> image. Mm -hmm. so next marvin meets up with clarabelle on her yacht uh where she's like oh well you know i've missed she she tries to do the whole femme fatale thing yeah she's it, it, he's like you're the one who has been trying to get him to cut out chicago right it's it's this is all you you're the one who's behind this right <laughs> he's like why don't yeah, you sleep like, with me it's like oh man i hate you <laughs> it's like you're just you're just doing this to get me to kill him so that you can sleep with me what if i he's am? like maybe like oh i'm done with this and he leaves and he unties the boat so it drifts away <laughs> <laughs> and then her femme fatale mask just completely drops like what's the big idea you jerk <laughs> well she thought she was winning yeah, but no, Lee. I guess she couldn't tell from uh, she couldn't tell Lee Marvin's non-expression against me expression yeah. versus his "I'm winning against you" expression. Yeah, they're they're all the same expression. He's got a real poker face. <laughs> so he gets back to the hotel, and everybody's gone, or like most of them are gone. It's just been a disaster. The guys, like uh, Marianne's guys, showed up, and they took Poppy, and they one of the dudes is gone in an ambulance. Yeah. Oh yeah, we we didn't mention, but yeah, the the guy with the mother got shot. Oh yeah, under the bleachers when the, the others were escaping. Yeah, and the the other guys yeah. are the ones who showed up in the car to get him. Yeah, so they took Poppy. They wounded a guy. Maybe he's dead. We don't find out if he dies. He went in the ho he went in an ambulance. So I think the guy lives, but we just don't see him again because he he doesn't. It doesn't matter. Uh, so he uh, Devlin goes to weenie's place again yeah the car hotel where he <laughs> finds violet was there and weenie's or and she's like 
uh, Weenie said that everybody at the car could hotel could just pay a nickel for a turn. Yeah, and then she has this gig- poppy giant fistful of nickels. It's very disturbing. <laughs> she's like so she's totally catatonic. Up, but... She's destroyed. Yeah, uh, and so Devlin's like, "All right, we're gonna fucking." it's assault time we're we're doing proper yeah. chicago mob stuff enough of this bullshit but there's three of them yeah because <laughs> so that's all that's left but they that's got machine guns alive. that's true they have like this whole briefcase of all these yeah. crazy guns and they're all like driving to the driving to the farm while this kick-ass kansas city thunderstorm that i i forgot that was a thing was those crazy oh, yeah. thunderstorms i've never been in one of course oh, i totally but... have uh in saskatchewan Obviously, not, yeah, yeah. Uh, Saskatchewan, yeah. Alberta. I've been in a few of those. They're crazy to be in the middle oh, of yeah. on like a prairie. Mm. I bet. Um, and the one guy's like, "Oh, I'm I'm not scared. I'm not scared. Even though my other two guys have died, I'm not scared." And Marvin's like, "You should Good. be. <laughs> <laughs> should yeah, yeah. You might die from this too." Mm-hmm. So big gun battle huge yeah ridiculous in like a sunflower field uh just uh, all so... of all of these guys who look exactly alike just spawning endlessly <laughs> yeah like the same guy with a white t-shirt and overalls and a rifle yeah they, they get kind of just get caught up at an enemy spawn point and both of the dudes get shot but they don't get killed i don't think yeah no they they don't die because he's the uh, only one who gets into the barn at the end for like the final confrontation yes yeah, so he he ends up like killing everybody in the gunfight, and then he flags down this truck to break through the gate. Oh, it's rad! Him just driving full tilt up into the greenhouse and just destroying it. It's awesome. Destroying the freaking greenhouse. It's lucky that there weren't any girls in there at the time. I was thinking yeah. that I was like, wait, that's the girl greenhouse. Did he like run over these people, or were they just? Out to pasture at the moment, I mean, I, and I realized that they might be out to pasture, and that might be a thing they do. I would assume that they're busy during the day, because it seems like they're there yeah. at night. Yeah. But yeah, that's really lucky. Yeah, it's it's fortunate. Because <laughs> uh, uh, he, he wouldn't have known that they were in the greenhouse. Right. So in the main barn, which I think is where we saw them at, like, the, it's the same place that the auction was, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah same same place but now they just have the cows and the pets and the pigs and they're up in the rafters uh marianne and weenie with poppy holding her hostage and I, devlin has just killed everybody already i guess <laughs> nobody left <laughs> yeah he's just going every now and again like one thug will come in and he'll just shoot him immediately once he comes as soon as he goes in the door yeah he's a professional he's like hiding but yeah he's hiding behind cows and stuff Eventually, he does get Marianne, who falls off of, like, the highest rafter into the pig pen. Right. They, he climbs up into the rafters, and they're all fighting up there. Uh, I, I just want to note, as it says on Wikipedia, from behind an apparently bulletproof bale of hay. Because, <laughs> yeah, they're shooting at him. Yeah. And it, bullets go through hay. Just, just saying. They certainly do. But yeah, he shoots him and he falls down into one of the pig pens. And one of, my, one of the other things that makes me laugh so hard in this movie is Weenie runs at him and he, he shoots him <laughs> and he tries to stab him with the sausage. He had a sausage in his hand the whole time. What the fuck was he holding a poppy hostage with a sausage? If he wasn't, 
Did he put down the knife to pick up the sausage? What's he doing? I think he's just. What a, is this guy? He just seems like a dude who's probably got a sausage on him at all times. And he just forgot what he was holding. Yeah. <laughs> but him yeah. trying to stab him with that is very funny. That's great. It's a good conclusion of yeah. that character. Yeah. <laughs> and then as he rescues Poppy, pulls Marianne out of the pig pen so the pig won't eat him. And come on. Yeah, I guess not. You had to end this with the pig eating him. Well, yeah, and Marianne's like, you know, uh, put me out of my misery. Uh, like, like a, you know, you, you'd do it for an animal. He's like, you're a man. You're not an animal. <laughs> There's no difference. Yes, there is. He's like, yeah, there is a difference. Uh, and he just leaves him to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still think he should have fallen into a meat machine. That would have been good. Or got eaten by a pig. Yeah, either one would have been pretty good. Although, I mean, I they're, they're specifically doing it to be like, there's a difference between men and animals and you. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but then... It's sort of as a capper to that, they raid the orphanage. They raid the orphanage. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm gonna, I'm adopting all these girls, and the lady's like, "Uh, what? <laughs> hey, don't I know you?" you and SpaceX just pops like, her. <laughs> you sure do. Punch. It was a pretty satisfying her punching that lady in the face. Uh, it's a great ending. Yeah, and they're out of there. They're heading back to Chicago. Uh, lots of fun. Really liked this one. Yeah, it's a good time. Mm-hmm. Don't have a lot to say about it, but I enjoyed it. No. I liked. I mean, I, I think there's some pretty interesting central metaphors in terms of the meat business v. the sex business and the crime and all of that mm-hmm. and crime v. agriculture. But it's pretty straightforward. Like, they do it a few times and you totally get it. It's not. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's a very straight up metaphor. I am surprised that nobody else got turned into meat. I, it is kind I, of surprising. I thought for sure that this would be the movie where that's what happens to all of them. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> so our second film, or our third film this week, is The Big Racket from 1976, directed by Enzo G. Castellari, real uh, legend of the Poliziotesky genre. Of the Poliziotesky's, this one is, that I've seen so far, that we've covered, this one's by far my favorite. Interesting. Uh, I like this one a lot. It is really cool. This guy's like uh, Castellari. He did a lot of great stuff. He did the original Inglorious Bastards. Oh, okay. uh, he famously did the movie The Last Shark, which was so much a ripoff of Jaws that Universal sued and had it removed oh. from circulation. Oh, <laughs> and, oh wow! Like, I've seen a Jaws knockoff or two. This one was so blatant that they removed it from existence. <laughs> I didn't know that could happen. <laughs> he also did this really great trilogy of movies in the 80s uh, of a post-apocalyptic Bronx. So 1990, The Bronx okay. Warriors, The New Barbarians, and Escape from the Bronx, which was a mystery science theater one. You must leave the Bronx. <laughs> great stuff. Uh, and I think he also did... Uh, I was thinking he did a, a Django, but I'm not seeing it here. Hmm. Anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, th- this is another crime film. Uh, although this one features not two criminals against each other, but criminals, all the criminals versus one super cop. It does, again, seem to be someone found in a spawn point to exploit because just endless hordes of teens that they have uh, at their disposal. 
And it, it really, really, truly feels endless yeah. in this one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, like, this is something I was alluding to last week when I was introducing it in that these movies are kind of right wing. The Poliziotesky genre tends to depict a crime apocalypse with which uh, the, or that needs to be better dealt with and that, you know, we need to be tougher on crime kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Like, like the 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 villain's speech at the end is literally like, I'm just going to make so much crime that nobody can fucking live. Yeah, I, I we start at the bottom level instead of at the top. We just get everybody. And then, you know, once we've got the people at the bottom who can't fight back, it's just easy to roll that money into bigger and bigger things. Yeah, that's the scheme. Uh, <laughs> and it seems like he's already recruited every single young person in the world for his criminal empire. It must be expensive. All like every teen in what city is it? I, I think I said Milan I'm last time, sure. but I think it might be Rome. I feel like you see the Colosseum at some point. They mention meeting at the Colosseum. So, yeah, it's got to be Rome. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm looking on Wikipedia and it does say it was shot in Rome. Okay. Yeah, I don't think they ever directly refer to it, but yeah, I mean, it's a big city for them to be doing that in. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, he's got enough guys, apparently. We we find out at the very end that it's actually an international conspiracy. But, like, all the other players, we haven't been paying attention to them, and they just die. Yeah, we, we have a whole evil cabal that all get together at a table at the end <laughs> which again it's it's very right wing this is something like story-wise concept-wise this does seem like something you'd see alex jones ranting about um yeah in, in the reception on wikipedia film critic mirando morandini uh says it's a fascist film it's a vile film it's an idiot film <laughs> <laughs> though it's a lot of fun i really enjoy it from this perspective but it, it i mean i definitely do see their point that it is clearly oh. trying to be like this is a crime apocalypse why are we doing anything the about only it? only thing that can save us is a literal good guy with a gun sometimes yeah and you need to like let cops kill anyone they need to kill and arrest anyone they need to arrest and all these rules for not arresting people oh, are not yeah. right although yeah if you don't let the cops kill people they'll just People will get away. People will just kill everyone else. Yeah. They'll just I, it's, automatically get away. It, it's just the <laughs> there are points in it where the thumb is so on the scale in terms of that. Because <laughs> like the thing when they're burning down the restaurant and they have the fight, it's like there's so much evidence there. They could have arrested those people. Those people should not have gotten away. Yeah, but but like the guy's like, I'm a political prisoner. You can't touch me. Yeah, oh well, I guess we can't. Which yeah, it makes Oops. no sense. There there is no actual <laughs> like that is again like crazy conservative fantasy. That's not how anything works. Police have a fair yeah. amount more power than they have in this film. <laughs> yeah, no, this is definitely uh their their idea of the policing future that liberals want. Yeah, I think it, it's pretty bizarre. So our our super cop Fabio Testi, handsome fucking guy, Nico Palmieri oh, is the is the man. character name. <laughs> at, at first, I was like, you know, I don't see it. But as the by the time we got to the end of the movie, I was like, hot yeah, cop. Yeah, <laughs> I see it. Yeah, I do. He smolders every moment. <laughs> So yeah. he's Inspector uh, Nico Palmieri. Mm, he is on the case of this 
huge protection racket uh, that seems to be headed up by these four guys who don't have actual names. So I have conveniently given them names. Yeah, they're gr- uh, there's the have, gross guy. <laughs> we have young asbestos felt. Yeah, he's so fucking nasty. I hate that guy. He's the grossest dude oh, yeah. in the movie. Yep. Uh, we have Happy Gilmore, uh, Kronk, and the girl. Yeah, there's the girl. Uh, and they're all the ones who get arrested in the uh, the burning uh, scene, too. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know how these guys keep getting away. There's no reason for these guys to Cops get away. Cops literally this. saw you dumping gasoline and, then, and saying you were going to light it on fire. And then they started to fight with the police themselves, not the police using them. You can arrest them, them for freaking assault. Yeah. yeah. So there's like, it, it is not reasonable that they get away, but they do because oh, the, but the lawyer needed though. them to. Well, yeah, obviously yeah, the lawyer's the law protects the criminal. But like this guy isn't even a Maurice Levy, you know? He, he no, isn't this there. Is... <laughs> no, this, this lawyer is like, like kind of reminds uh, I'm trying to think who he reminds me of, but I, I, I keep going back to that picture of the nerd from Killer Nerd. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, he's... Uh, I, I, spoilers we're getting ahead of things but he is revealed at the very end he's the last guy to come into the big shady cabal meeting and it's such oh, a weak it's, reveal it's, it's like why him it's really bad. i know this guy's crooked had... we know it we've known it the whole movie he's the he's the lawyer for the criminals and he the lawyer from the for the criminals doesn't need to or want to lead the organization he is the safest person in the organization as long as he's not in charge it makes zero sense i mean it it makes sense that he's crooked i mean we get it he and him showing up there i'm like yeah "Yeah." but why is he running it and also i mean if you were going to do this big reveal of someone at the end it should have been someone surprising or like i expected it to be his boss i expected to be the chief of police I had a list of, I think, four names that I was expecting before the lawyer. <laughs> it, it would have been so much better because the the police chief walking in there, that would have been like, oh, that makes sense. That's why they weren't able to prosecute those cases, because there was someone sabotaging it from within. It doesn't make yeah, sense. The, whole time, <laughs> the chief is like, oh, no, you don't have enough evidence, Nico. And it's like, well, yeah, I do. I saw them do a thing. No, you don't have enough evidence, you see. Right. So it would make sense if it was him. But then again, I guess that would be like you can't have a police official being crooked in this conservative right wing fantasy. Oh, heavens no. I guess it's no cap. Yeah. So I would like that would have made this movie maybe an extra star for me. And I like this a lot, even though I I do recognize (laughs) its political failings. you know what maybe i do like highway racer better than this (laughs) they're both yeah highway (laughs) racer does have a bit more of an anarchic edge to it but they're both pretty great i think they're you know similar like on a level yeah uh this one is i think more overt in its right-wing message though yes and but it's also just got crazy fucking action sequences like oh so so the first thing that happens uh after like after the very first time of them trashing a store right. and then threatening all the people, and it's like this whole montage of them threatening all these different shopkeepers, yeah. he follows them to this field where another thing about this movie is that the cops have no stealth skills whatsoever. No. They're all bad at the job. Whatsoever. Uh, only him. He's the only one who's good at anything. Yeah. 
but he's not good enough at stealth in this one particular case because they catch him off guard and trash his car and oh, roll man. him off a hill. Him rolling down the hill, that is such a great effect. There, I am convinced that he, like, they put a camera in a car and him in the car and really did roll it off a hill. I don't know how else they could have done this. It definitely looks like it. It is one hell of a stunt. Like, it's so striking right at the start of the movie. It, it, it is, grabs you. It's so, like, because it's not the way you expect it to be. Like, it's not, it doesn't feel like it was a green screen. No, it just feels like you're toppling over. It's awesome. It's so well done. It's yeah, I've never seen it done um, like that before. And I, like right away, I was like, "Okay, we're we're in good hands here with Castellari." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I've never seen a car rolling stunt like that before. It's just so brutal and violent. Yeah. Even though he's out of the hospital in like three days, right? He does get banged up though, and it it means he's oh, he going to be out for revenge because you got to have revenge. Yeah, he, he has this whole, like, recovery montage, which is just him walking on the beach in the sunset with the cane, and at the end, he doesn't need the cane. Yeah. While he's in the hospital, he tells his partner to follow this one guy from the gang, and the part Salvatore, the partner, is useless. Yeah, he doesn't do anything. Uh, it, it's interesting. He gets spotted immediately. Uh, the, the actor is also Salvatore. Uh, Salvatore oh. Borghese. Oh, okay. Uh, cool. I mean, all of these people are in a million things. He's in the Sartana movies. Uh, oh. I don't know what else. Oh, yeah. That, that's It's weird to think that these would have overlap with those because they're a different genre, but they're the same place in time. Yeah, they are quite similar in, in yeah. uh, when they were done. So, yeah, uh, Salvatore gets caught immediately and doesn't get any info for the gang so nico's like okay well i guess i have to heal up right now yeah i gotta come back and do it myself this is the way it always turns out uh and but he does though he does get out of the hospital in two days with nothing but a bandaged hand Mm -hmm. and and he begins investigating uh, the the first people who get seriously threatened are the father and the daughter right so the daughter is played by the director's daughter interestingly Oh. Stefania Castellari. Oh. Uh, I guess because <laughs> it's a rough role. <laughs> yeah. Pretty brutal. Uh, it really is. Your job is to get terrorized, kidnapped, and raped. And then commit suicide off screen. And commits, uh, yeah. So, yeah, this scene. I thought she died by them. I right. didn't know she commit. No, yeah. She, you find out later yeah, she commits suicide. The, the guy says, uh, when, when yeah. he snaps so this guy he's running a restaurant and she works as one of the servers there and the really gross guy the you know our our four main teens for whatever reason yeah they come in and yeah the the gross guy just he is explicitly threatening to rape the daughter he's like oh you better not call the police you're gonna make me get hard i was like man this guy is disgusting someone kill this guy please (laughs) As they're driving away, he literally says to his buddies, like, man, I hope he doesn't pay so that I could have the daughter. Yeah, yeah. He's he's like so explicitly gross that like, all right, get on with killing this guy, please. <laughs> How long are we going to have to wait? We have to wait a long uh, time. A while, he's, actually. He, he's one of the last. He makes it to the end of the yeah, movie. He's in the final gunfight. I think all of yeah. these people. Are. All these guys. Yeah. It's, it's only like yeah, secondary four... people killed in the other big gunfight. <laughs> Yes, uh, the four make it to the end. Yeah. 
and th that's just how I refer them to, in my yeah. notes from now on as the. Four. They have no names. There, there is just they don't have the names. disgusting dude. There's the girl, and then there's two other guys who I can't even bring up their faces anymore. Uh, one kind of looks like Adam Sandler, and I thought the big guy might have looked like Patrick Warburton, hmm. but maybe not really. I, I just literally can't picture them. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> They're just the four. So the four go into this one restaurant, and here's where they begin dumping the gas, and the cops catch a red hand. Yeah, and they start a fight with the, the girl. Starts a fight with him, and like tries yeah. to stab him. How do they not stay in jail? Uh, it is absurd that they are let out. Uh, it doesn't make sense. That would not happen. <laughs> they attacked well, the police. lawyer comes in, and <laughs> he the lawyer comes in, and he lawyer magics. Yeah, it. I mean that that is the thing. He's the magical lawyer because he's crooked, but like. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make him superpowered. That doesn't make him able to bend the law. <laughs> he can't make the law. He still has to work within it, even if he is Unless... working outside of it. Yeah, it would only make sense if the police were also crooked. Yeah, like like if he was paying off the police chief, because the police chief is like, oh yeah, no, gotta listen to the lawyer. Right. The police chief is constantly backing the lawyer up and always against but... uh, Nico, and it's just like, I don't understand how this guy isn't the last conspirator at the end. Yeah, the the police chief, as far as we can tell, genuinely is not part of the conspiracy. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't think so either. Because uh, he mentions, like, later on, he's going to buy the police and the judges later. Right. After he's bled the working people. Yeah, once they've, you know, built up enough money and have enough protection racket going on. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, doesn't make sense, but fine. Uh, yeah. So it's, he gets taken off the case or something, or what? what is it he's doing that he can't be there? Like, I don't uh, understand why they're not watching these happens... people either. That's the other thing that so, doesn't make sense, is that nobody is watching these people that have been threatened and have come forward as witnesses. Well, that's because nobody wants to come forward as a witness, because they're all scared of the gang, except for the father. Right, but why isn't he is being like, watched? Yeah. That's that's Nico's complaint. He's like, what? Dude, he's, he's saying to the chief, like, yo, we got to watch this guy. He's going to be targeted. And the chief's like, uh, right. We can't uh, afford well. the guys. But that doesn't make sense for one. And then no. why isn't Nico doing it then? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. He, Nico should be watching it. Or like okay. send fucking Salvatore to do it. He isn't doing fucking dick all anyways. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, it, you know, I've, I've figured it out on the second watching mm. because they do kind of explain it. Nico. He is doing tells, something else at the time. That too. But he tells the father, it's like, send her away to boarding right. school. And the father does. And they just think that the situation is handled. But what happened is the girl and the Adam Sandler guy dressed up as nuts. Right. And they go pick <laughs> her up at school and take her. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the. And it's like, weren't you the guys threatening my father? And the girl's like, yeah, yeah, we yeah, are. And now we're threatening you. We're, you're about to be raped. But the even so, why aren't they watching the dad? They should still be yeah. watching their single witness in the biggest case that's going on. It makes no sense. <laughs> the, all of you're the police right. stuff stupid. is like, the, it is a big hole in the movie that the way the police investigation is sabotaged does not make sense if the police aren't in on it. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. Like it makes sense if they are in on yeah. it, but they are. Yeah, it can work apparently. if they're not in. If they are in on it, but it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. Asbestos felt rapes the girl. I think they all the do. Father it's suggested that they all do, and uh, mm. she's she lives, but then like it seems like she's dead when he's carrying her away, but she survives yeah. and then kills herself off screen. Because yeah. the next time we see him, uh, some other rando dudes have been sent to collect from him. And he's like, you know, my daughter killed herself. And he just blows them both away. Yes. <laughs> pretty satisfying. Mm-hmm. So so this is where Nico gets taken off the case because he is blamed for the daughter getting raped and killed. Again, even though makes he... no sense if the police aren't in on it. <laughs> yeah, it's like... I, it's like, if you had listened to Nico, it would have been fine. Yeah. Well, it could have been fine. Well, if you I just, mean, like the, the, if they did anything, if they made any yeah, kind they, of effort. they didn't do anything. Yeah. That's the thing. They did nothing. Yeah. Uh, so he's off the case, <laughs> I guess. I think he's off the force. No. Is he not? No. Not yet. That's the next, That's the next one. Okay. He's just off his case, but he is, or he's off the case, but he is absolutely not off the case. Of no, course. of course not. He just continues doing exactly the case and nothing else. So the next, uh, the next one to be victimized is uh, Mozzarelli, the uh, guy who owns the gambling den and a uh, drug dealing thing. Yeah, he's like another kingpin uh, who is yeah. just kind of being pushed out. Yeah, Rudy, who is the leader of the four and basically the villain of the, of the movie. Uh, we've seen this guy is, before, by the way. Uh, he yeah. It was Giorgio in Black Sabbath. In, in the Wurgelac oh. sequence, he was like the, I think, the main son. Oh, cool. Yeah. I thought he looked familiar. We've also, there's another guy in this that we, that you may recognize, uh, Uncle Pepe. Oh. He's in Moonstruck. I, Oh my fuck! Remember? Okay, yeah. I knew you can I totally had picture him now, before. right? <laughs> yes, yes, I know who that is. Yeah, uh, I can't remember his character, but I remember seeing Cosmo. Him there. He's he's Cosmo. He was nominated for best supporting actor uh, for Moonstruck. In fact, oh right, he was the guy who was gonna marry Cher. No, he's the older guy. Oh, okay, like okay. he's the the elderly uncle who has all the dogs. Uh, okay he's so lovable he's very sweet in the movie he's the guy who comes in at the end he's like i'm so confused <laughs> doesn't <laughs> like he's missed the plot happening and everything being oh, right. <laughs> he's so sweet and i love him in this too he's adorable he, he is adorable in this he's this sweet old gentleman con man yeah like a classic pickpocket thief he's just been doing it for years <laughs> but he's his relationship with uh, Nico is interesting because it's like he is a criminal, but like, ah, you're one of the good ones. <laughs> kind of, yeah. He, he doesn't kill anybody. Yeah. He's a gentleman criminal. Mm. Who does kill somebody is Rudy runs over Mazzara- or Mazzarelli in a freaking Ford Mustang. Oh, man. Them running over him and then backing over and running over again. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Again, one of those things. That, yeah, he survives. He's got to come back and get him. You got to build that yeah. suicide squad. <laughs> so after that is when the two no names go to the father's place and he blows them away. Yeah. 
we get like a whole bunch of thugs getting arrested for trashing a grocery store and they're all like oh we're political prisoners right because they come in like it, it is a thing where the guy comes in and demands the money and he's like all right it's gonna be on you and then he goes out and he comes back with a bunch of guys who yeah. come in and are shouting slogans when they come in and start breaking stuff as like yeah. plausible deniability that it's some sort of political reason yeah yeah they're like oh fuck your capitalist consumerist blah 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 yeah and it doesn't hold up to any kind of scrutiny like they get back to the police department and they're like come on you know that there's no political element to this and this is all bullshit it's like yeah but what can you do lawyer magic yeah the lawyer's there again <laughs> it's like no 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 these guys are innocent because i say they are which yeah it doesn't oh. work <laughs> no except there's yeah there's one guy left behind who doesn't get let go because the lawyer i guess doesn't speak for him well he is uh, pepe's nephew right he's pepe's nephew yeah. yeah and nico's like okay well i'll let your nephew go if you help me out and pepe's like okay well i guess i'll infiltrate the gang yeah he gets him to infiltrate and it's working out for pepe pretty good for a while they're sending him on all sorts of lucrative uh heists and he's just making bank he is working with his nephew on all of these uh, uh jobs mm -hmm. and he comes back to nico with a bit of information about how the four are going to rob this i'm not even sure what it is because whatever they're robbing ends up not being the point this is this is the one where they get all the police to surround the four. Yeah, they, and they fake them out. Rudy spawns all the guys behind him. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, like th this huge shootout. Uh, they're expecting to arrest the four, but in this like train yard, I don't know what they're robbing. Yeah, I'm not sure because the train yard doesn't seem to be all that active, so it doesn't seem like they're robbing a train with stuff on it or anything. Yeah. I don't really know what they're doing. Yeah, but but the real reason there is to for them to ambush the cops and throw grenades at them from on top of the train cars. Yes. And that's when the good guy with the gun comes in and starts taking people out. Right. Uh, I, he's a skeet shooting uh, champion. Yeah, he's coming home from skeet shooting. He happens to have his gun. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to go help the cops because... These guys are evil, and he takes out so fucking many of well, them. Because he's a professional shooter. Like, he's really good at yeah. firing, and he really knows how to aim, so he's brilliant at this, uh, which gets him fucking marked for death. Uh, so this is, oh, the, yeah. the character is Gianni? Gianni Rossetti? Gianni Rossetti, that's yeah. his name, yes. Uh, Orso Maria Guarini. Just looking to see if I know his other stuff. I mean, I've definitely seen him in things, but he's still around. Oh, still, cool. still around, uh, making movies yeah. as recently as 2019. Uh, but I don't, yeah, I don't, like I've seen a few things, but nothing that we we've talked about. Okay, uh, it's also in this shootout where Salvatore gets brutally gunned down. Yeah, he gets he gets shot so many times. It's hilarious because he gets shot a couple times, and then like nico goes no and he goes after him and then he gets fucking shot so many like someone goes goes after him gets him with a machine gun in the back <laughs> as he's like lying on the floor <laughs> it's like wow this guy's fucking dead he really killed the shit out of him so at the end of it he's like hey johnny uh, thanks for the help make yourself available for the investigation i'm gonna have to keep an eye on you uh but thank you 
sincerely thank you <laughs> and the next scene we see is johnny and his wife reading the newspaper about their heroic uh, interference in the in the shootout his wife's not happy about it <laughs> she's pretty yeah, mad like, like you, you gave them your name you know these people are a huge criminal organization and they can come for us and then they come for them <laughs> <laughs> Literally, as she's saying, yeah. it, they break down the door, and of course, it's our four shitheads. Yeah, and they be they so they they are attempt to rape the wife, but then no, they do. Like, I, it's it, it is a weird thing where it seems like he's unable to get going with it, and then they fucking light the place on fire instead, and like yeah, he and the, pisses on her. Pisses it's on very gross. Wife. Yeah, the yeah. gross guy. It's his thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just being gross. Uh, but she dies in the fire because he's unable to get to her because the fire is between them. Yeah, uh, he survives. I didn't think he would. Right, because he's in the fire, and they they also yeah. bust up his hands so that he can't mm-hmm. shoot them. But obviously, he's going to find well, a way around that. It doesn't take. No. <laughs> just like them rolling uh, uh, Nico down the hill. It didn't take. He's going to heal up and come take. back. <laughs> Uncle Pepe, unfortunately, has been given a special assignment directly from Rudy that he's got to rob this bank, and he's trying to get in touch with Nico to tell him about it. But Nico's doing something I else. I can't remember he's what it is. Doing other shit. Yeah, there, there's some reason he's not able to get to him. Then he finally hears about it just at the last minute and gets there. And of course, they've called it in because they realize that Pepe has been feeding information to the police, and they, yeah, they. This, they get a bunch of like it's the four dudes i think and maybe some others and yes, they the four they infiltrate the crowd and they start saying oh they're murderers these are the bad guys and we we need to rip them limb from limb yeah because nico's like trying to go in and make it look like he's doing a successful hostage negotiation he goes in without his gun he's like all right pepe i'm just gonna talk to you and get you guys to put down the gun and everything will be fine and pepe's cool with that it's like i understand i know yeah, i can like, trust you but yeah. his nephew doesn't his nephew is yes. not smart about it. The, the nephew is all like we see it in all the robberies in the montage. The nephew is super hot headed, super nervous, a uh, little, little too trigger happy, but not like wanting to shoot. More like frightened. Scared, yeah, he's scared yeah, all the yeah. time. He's he's clearly very frightened. Uh, but normally Pepe is able to talk him down, and he is sort of able to talk him down here. But then they go out, and the crowd just fucking grabs him. Yeah, and he is basically beaten and trampled to death. Yeah, and Pepe now also has a reason to join the Suicide Squad. And I think that's everybody now. That is everybody. Yeah. Uh, because here the Nico gets fired. Yeah. <laughs> he blew it. It's like, you, you didn't do a good enough job uh, defusing the bank situation. Sure, you prevented the robbery, but... You prevented the robbery you didn't and good... got like the one of the criminals out completely safely. Nobody was harmed. Uh, except one of the criminals was killed by an angry mob who he had nothing to do with. Again, you're fired. Why are the police not part of this? It would make the plot make so much more sense. Is anybody else besides Nico and working on this case? No. And he's no, not working on the case, remember? Not. He's off the case. That's yeah, why he gets fired. On the case. He gets fired yes. because he's working the case that he's not supposed to be working. But well, nobody yeah. is. It's the biggest Nobody's case. It doesn't make case. sense if the police aren't in on it. Anyway. Well, no, the gang only has four people. We don't got to worry about that. Yeah. So Nico's like, fine. 
I'm off the case. I'm off the force. I'm going to go put together a squad. And he just goes to each of the people. He's like, Enter Nico Fury. Yeah, I'm putting He's together a the team. The Revengers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he goes to the skate shooter. Yeah. He's like, you're you're in for this. He's like, yeah, obviously I'm in for this. No yeah. question. He goes up to he goes up to Mazzarelli. He's like, you're in for this. He's like, uh, I can't move my head. <laughs> I'm I I am literally in a full back brace. I don't know how much help I can be. And he's like, you can still shoot a gun. It's like, you're right, I probably can shoot a gun. <laughs> you're crazy, but I'm gonna do this like, anyway. Yeah, I hate those guys. They've ruined my life. Uh, sure, I'll shoot <laughs> some of them. Why not? The father and Uncle Pepe are in prison, yeah. and so is this uh, mass murderer from some other case. Yeah, that's kind of crazy that they just get some fucking mass murderer guy out of prison. Is like, I could use you. <laughs> and he's like, well, I could use a new passport. And it, we also find out that while in prison, uh, the the restaurant guy, I can't remember his name, he has been, he's become a serial killer. He has been killing oh, other dudes yeah. in prison who are murderers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he, he wants to kill the mass murderer. Oh, he's who's joining. the team. Yeah. He, he is having a big problem with him. And, but he's also really excited to uh, go after the big group. Like he wants to go oh, after yeah, the big rack yeah. and big times. The only thing that's keeping him from uh, killing the mass murderer guy right now. Yeah, but you know he'll still he'll still make a few attempts. Oh, yeah. He'll still lose his cool a few times because he's not well. Like he has lost his mind. Yeah. He is completely mentally ill at this point. So we don't see it as much, but so is the ski shooting guy. Yeah, he's, he's pretty broken. He's messed up. He's, he's been destroyed yeah. by this. Uh, everybody's pretty fractured by the end. I mean, even Pepe because it's just so broken his spirit. Like he's the one who's kind of doesn't want to join, but. And it's also like, what can I do? I'm not a killer. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm a friendly old man who's good at thieving. He's like, I need you for yeah. your, I, I need your energy. <laughs> I need someone who's actually okay, nice well, around me. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you need someone to make you laugh, I guess I'm your guy. Like, I'll do my best. I'm not in the laughingest mood these days. Yeah. They, they find out that there's going to be this meeting at a factory on Saturday afternoon because there's no workers. Big, big factory. It looks pretty abandoned, honestly. It doesn't look like oh, it's yeah, it really does. a factory in use. Uh, so the big meetup and they decide to infiltrate. They all hide in the ducts. Yeah. The way they get into the factory is really weird because uh, the guy, small oh, yeah. guy is just apparently steals the skirt off this one random woman and throws it over the gate to the factory and then the woman has sex with the factory guard who is this woman i feel like she's in on it that it, it is someone that they know who is like being who's Must doing be. sex work as a distraction to get them in there yeah um yeah it's just you know it's, it's odd not no I, I agree it, it is, is it is weird. a little odd when you're watching like who's involved here i'm not sure but they they all hide <laughs> in the rafters and we still have a couple tense moments where the restaurant guy tries to kill the mass murder guy yeah he's like he staked out a spot where he could snipe him you know, yeah just in case he gets the just in case and then of course when people start coming in he is just it, it is very hard for him not to start shooting each time someone comes in <laughs> Yeah, and and we have like the whole 
Mazzarelli does like a whole rundown on who each of these guys are, but it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. This is the Sicilian. Yeah. This is the Greek. Yeah, they're the, it is a whole international conspiracy. These are new bodies. Right. And they're talking about how like this is they they get into the meeting and they describe the racket plan and how they're going to build it up from the bottom. But wait, there's one more guy, a guy with a trench coat and a hat. They and... build it up so much. Like there's and it takes so long before we see his face. Like we see him walking, we see his feet, we see the coat and we see him from behind and just him very slowly walking in. It seems like it's going to be this shocking reveal and it, it is not. <laughs> so i i had a list of the four most likely people i thought it could be and the lawyer was on the list but he wasn't at the top uh first was police chief yeah uh the second was salvatore secretly <laughs> somehow yep. still alive faked his death yeah. <laughs> uh the third was blind ralphie from a christmas story sure. because it's the exact same outfit oh yeah <laughs> this is a future where Ralphie doesn't get the BB gun. And so he just goes all in on guns in the rest of his life. Yeah. And, and in fact, when you think about it, the lawyer grown up kind of looks like how I would imagine Ralphie grown up. Kind of. With the blonde hair, the big glasses. I can see it. The thing is, I know what Ralphie looks like grown up because he's in the yeah. Marvel movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. He probably doesn't look anything like that anymore. Not really. <laughs> and yeah, the lawyer was number four. Yeah. And yeah, it is, it's just not, it's an unsatisfying reveal. It's like, oh, the lawyer. I mean, I knew he was crooked. Okay. Yeah. Like the lawyer should be at this meeting anyway. Yeah. He's their lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's, yeah, the reveal should have been like, who is that guy? Oh, it's Lori. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like if, okay. if the lawyer had just been in the room with them from the beginning, it, it wouldn't have, it, like, it wouldn't have even passed across my mind, like, oh, that guy's crooked. I know that guy's crooked. <laughs> I know that guy works for them. But then he gets into the boardroom and he starts giving this fucking, like, Glengarry Glen Ross speech. Well, because he's the leader. Somehow the whole conspiracy yeah. is him, which just, I don't know. You need to just replace the word close with pay and you've got the speech. Yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, but then obviously, uh, our guy can't handle it anymore and he starts shooting the, it's, it, it is the restaurant guy who finally breaks. Yes. Obviously. Yeah. They're all supposed to wait for Nico's signal, but the father does not. No, he can't handle it anymore. I think it's because the four show up and the gross the guy, especially, and he can't hold it anymore. Yeah. So it's a huge fucking shootout. It is massive. So many nameless people die. Uh, but I wrote down who of the important people gets who. Right. Uh, so the skeet shooter gets the Adam Sandler guy, and that's the guy who pissed on the wife. Oh, okay. Uh, Mozzarella gets the crazy girl because he's cut like this iron, like bulletproof plate on his chest. Oh yeah. Well, because he doesn't have much mobility, he is in a full back yeah. brace. Yeah, yeah, he is not going yeah. anywhere. Uh, Nico shoots the lawyer on a toilet <laughs> and he's basically like you can't do this to me I'm the lawyer yeah and he's like I know that I'm not a cop anymore because of you <laughs> yeah. blows him away uh, uh, skeet shooter gets the big guy yeah. who was also involved in the wife right. Uh and then a rando shoots the skeet shooter right he just gets it uh, and he's in the vent dying <laughs> Yeah, uh, the the father manages to machine gun the gross guy. Yes, and then 
kills himself. Yeah, he just turns the gun on himself immediately. He's 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 succeeded. He got the main guy he wanted to get. Uncle Pepe gets shot by a random. Yeah, Uncle Pepe sadly gets shot, and there there is a point where he's he's wounded and he isn't quite like he's not really dying quite yet but then uh someone has the drop on nico and he jumps out and he warns him and he gets blown away instead yeah yeah the mass murderer gets killed by rudy without killing anybody important yeah he just doesn't really ever do much of anything which is interesting <laughs> he dies clutching his passport right because that was the deal that he was going to get a passport and get out of there but it's funny, he just, he was the only one who had no emotional investment in it, so he doesn't really end up doing yeah. anything. He just wanted to get away. He was trying to escape <laughs> all of the earlier moments we saw him. Yeah, he didn't even, he didn't want to be on the squad. He just wanted to get out of the prison so he could run away. We see him running away and Nico chasing him at one point. Yeah, it happens. And like, don't fucking do that yeah, again. Yeah, don't do that again. I ha I've, I'm keeping the passport until the last minute. Uh, but yeah, he gets yeah. killed because he... He gets it's not involved. I, I do think it's funny when they're in the hideout and he goes like, "All of you has a very personal reason to be here," and I'm like, "Except you, <laughs> except that one guy." Uh, so, so it's down to just Nico and Rudy, and Rudy's like, "Hey, come out here into the open where I'm definitely not going to spawn a whole bunch of guys." Yeah. And Nico comes out in the open where Rudy spawns a whole bunch of guys, and he just fucking. Picks them off one by one. He's just shooting dudes all over the place. Shooting their, he shoots their gas tanks. Oh yeah, there's a good sh gas <laughs> yeah, tank he shot. Gets three in a I, row. I remember being like, there were a few points in the movie where it's like, shoot the gas tank. I can't believe you didn't shoot the gas tank. And then he finally does yeah. shoot several gas tanks at the end. Like, why weren't you doing that earlier? There are so many moments yeah, where you like, should have. He could have shot Rudy's car with gas tank in the very fucking first scene. Yeah, and I was thinking it in that scene. It's like, alright, shoot the gas tank, do it, do it! And he shoots at the car, but he doesn't get the gas tank. Like, why aren't you doing it? I know you can do it. I know this movie's going to yeah. do it. So, so yeah, after he lights up Luke, Rudy's car, he leaves the thing, apparently the only survivor, because Rudy's not alive to spawn any more guys. Mm. And he just... We freeze frame on him just bashing a crate with his rifle. Yeah. Just that's it. done. He busted uh, it. He busted the racket. He did. <laughs> Fuck, that was that's an intense explosive movie that I wish wasn't so right wing. <laughs> it's super high octane. Like the action in it is tremendous. The uh the the stunts are cool, the gunfights are fucking crazy uh yeah I, I love all the explosions all of the explosions are wonderful but yeah it it so, has certain plot holes <laughs> yeah uh the the normal bad guys kind of remind me of uh precinct 13 guys yeah. that they don't have goals they're just here to destroy yeah, and it is an endless spawn point thing too which totally assault on precinct 13 does mm -hmm. and uh, yeah there, there's a lot of parallels mm. uh between this and that uh but yeah, oh and the car rolling stunt though, holy shit. It's awesome. Uh it like that alone, right right from the beginning of the movie, is like, okay, I'm in. I'm so in. Yeah. Uh great, great action film. It's good shit. So do you have any last thoughts on either of those pictures before we move on to our third and final section? Oh, Ralphie, what brought you to this low point where you must start a giant protection racket? <laughs> Aren't you? Part two, three, part three, three. 
And we're back for part three, where we're going to be talking about all the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past week, and deciding what we're going to cover next week. So this week is the second of our resolution stacks. Uh, we're doing, as we do each January, we're going to cover uh, more specific picks. We're working with, um, this week we're going to do an ongoing series. I also have specific tasks for which I've set myself each of the weeks. This week, a minimum of two movies per day totaled for the end. So at minimum 14, I did 14. Uh, and minimum 10 moves, I did 10 moves. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we pulling, got a lot to talk about. Pulling from the top of a lot of different stacks. Uh, basically, grind week. You know, we're, we're doing a lot of stuff that's been sitting, and we're uh, going to pick something from a series that we've started in the past yeah I've, I've already got some ideas but we'll get to it so first up is journey to the seventh planet and do you do you know offhand what the seventh planet is okay so we got mercury see if Venus. you think about it just for a second the reason it's the seventh planet is because they don't want to say the name oh oh <laughs> <laughs> I got you there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't want to put that on the poster. Yeah, you think for a second, like, why is it Journey to the Seventh Planet? And like, oh, wait, I get it. Yeah. So it's Journey to Uranus. Uh, they're, they say Uranus. Uranus, excuse me. They journey <laughs> to Uranus. And solved all that. <laughs> no, it's Uranus. No. Uh, okay. I don't know why. Uh, you've never seen Solaris, have you? Probably not. It doesn't sound familiar. Uh, there, it's it's a Russian film from the '60s by Tarkovsky. There's also a remake of it by Soderbergh with Clooney, like 2002. I want to say that sounds familiar, but it's probably still haven't seen it. I kind of think Solaris was inspired by this or something. This feels like a dumb american version of it like a really silly <laughs> version of solaris so solaris the concept is there's this planet that is alive and it gets into your thoughts and it pulls from them and like the planet has like it, it can create ghosts and it uh does i, I don't it's, it's hard to explain it, it's uh it, it's a last year at marion bad in space kind of thing Okay, okay. This is kind of like doing that, but it's a goofy sci-fi movie where you got like giant bugs on Uranus. <laughs> oh, you don't want bugs around Uranus. You really don't want it. So there's this space brain. It gives out these psychedelic waves. It's making people think that there's this Danish village full of busty women on Uranus. <laughs> I've sure yeah <laughs> okay. it, was, it was a danish american co-production so yeah i mean it's uh, it's weird they they land on the planet it's you know it's a typical we're landing on an alien planet we're dealing with bugs uh, it's it's just weird because it's very like it's the classic campy bullshit but it is the solaris plot so it's i don't know if you're familiar <laughs> with the movie it's like this is weird <laughs> okay <laughs> Next is Michael J. Murphy's Atlantis, uh, his second stab at the concept, because one of the student films was an Atlantis one, the, almost totally lost. Right, right. Like, he's done uh, a 
couple of attempts at Tristan, I believe. Yeah, and there's another one too. So you have to come. <laughs> at least one. At least one more. Yeah. Uh so Atlantis, it's you know, it's about Atlantis. Uh similar to the fall of Rome, you know, same kind of stuff. They're they yeah. have gladiator gladiatorial battles, bunch of debauchery and orgies and all of that. There's also like this green mutant guy with like an asparagus head. <laughs> I think he's behind <laughs> a lot of the bad stuff. Uh, awesome. The queen is an evil lesbian. Uh, and she, I don't know. She doesn't seem to be interested in anything at all. She's not really interested in ruling. Uh, it's also sort of a Spartacus story. There's like these two surface people who somehow end up walking through a magic portal into Atlantis. And then one of them is forced into sex slavery. And the other one is forced into, you know, being a Spartacus type. And they have a whole, uh, slave uprising of rebellion. But like the training guy is, I I'm pretty sure it's the gay choreographer from <laughs> torment. So it's weird. I, I was hoping he would show up in this. <laughs> is this uh better or worse than torment? Oh, worse. Mm, torment's okay. one of the best torment's like upper tier in the set this one's so-so uh the, the f- was good yeah the the fall of atlantis stuff at the end is pretty cool you get a lot of stop motion you got a lot of you know miniature destruction which is fun but it's Ooh. mixed getting there hmm, okay uh next is cutter's way uh originally titled cutter and bone you got Jeff Bridges is Dick Bone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's a gigolo. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, we haven't we haven't said hi to Jeff Bridges in a while. <laughs> yeah. So Jeff Bridges, uh, I mean, he, it's him and John Hurt as the two main characters. Bridges is he's Richard Bone. He's a yacht salesman, but he's not like doing great. He doesn't make a lot of money at it. So he's mostly tricking on the side. But his best buddy... A yacht salesman doesn't make money? Holy shit. I mean, boat salesman maybe more fairly, but like he's he's just not doing... He's not good at it. Oh, okay. (laughs) He's kind of more the pretty boy that, you know, romances the the older rich ladies. So the thing is, there's his buddy. His best bud is Alex Cutter. John Hurd plays him, and he's this guy who came back from Vietnam not altogether well. You know, it, it's really wrecked him, and he's he's like missing an eye, and he's not he's he's pretty beat up. I think he's missing a leg. And Bone, he's in his car after I think he's he was doing a trick, and then he's getting in his car, and it, I, I think it it stops working or something so he's stuck in this alley and he sort of witnesses a body being disposed okay like he doesn't really realize it at the time but he sees a vehicle and the vehicle sees him and uh a body is discovered you know like a few feet down the alley in a garbage can Hmm. so he starts looking into it and Alex starts really looking into it and he sort of spins it into a blackmail scheme because they start to believe that it's one of these town founder type guys who they don't want to let get away with it, but they also kind of want to get something out of it. 
they <laughs> of course they enlist uh the sister of the girl who was murdered uh who who ends up working with them and trying to get to the bottom of the case it's weird it's the big lebowski but not as a comedy <laughs> like it, it's it's a very Wait. big lebowski because you have you know bridges is lebowski of course mm -hmm. Uh, but Cutter, I mean, he's, you know, he's the Vietnam vet. He's Walter. He's this guy who's just totally fucking out of pocket. Over the line. Yeah. Over the line, Smokey. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, the only one who gives a shit about the rules. Yeah. Uh, this isn't numb. There are rules. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's very interesting. It's quite a good movie. Cool, uh, cool. Very beautifully shot too. Like uh, really striking imagery at times. I do like that. Next is Charlie Victor Romeo. Uh, That's what I mentioned last week. CVR cockpit voice recorder. Oh yes, you mentioned uh, you mentioned you were going to watch this. I, I, you linked a few clips to this. Did I? No, I didn't think a I did. Couple. Uh, One or two. Oh, or though no, you linked the trailer. That's what oh, that's did. what I did. Uh, I tried to watch it in 3D, but my vertigo would not allow it, so I did not check out the 3d Aww. but the it, it is a very compelling thing so it's it's actually a film of a play they they did these as plays where they just got the uh text of the flight recorder and then they perform it in like a black box theater so just very minimalist you just have the cockpit and people in seats that's an interesting idea i mean if that was performing at one of our theaters in town, I'd go see it. Totally. And this was a real thing that ran for years, and then they decided to do a filmed version of it. So they did it in 3D, which is interesting. I would like to see it in 3D at some point. Uh, maybe i got to get new glasses first. Uh, I definitely want to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've never done 3D that way before. Mm, I have a few times. Not in a while. So it's six, I think six different... Uh, actual bear disasters um, and we see the ways they unraveled and how quickly it happened or how slowly it happened and we don't know like we only know as much as they know in the moment and then at the end it'll say what happened like very there'll be like a brief bit of text that says how many casualties there were uh, and what exactly happened okay and then this rugby team ended up in the Andes. Well, it's it's all just the crashes. It just ends at okay. the crash. So it, it's never anything that's like has much of a story after it. Right. Uh, there's not a lot of survivors in most of these. Uh, plane crashes are like that. Yeah, plane crashes are like that. Uh, so they're they're quite terrifying. It's very fascinating. Uh, one of the things that kind of makes it interesting in uh, light of say last year at Marion Bad is that you have uh just I think there's like four or five actors and they cycle through different characters in each one. So there's different okay. you keep seeing the same people, but as different characters and it's like they're in this purgatory where they have to keep being in plane crashes. <laughs> I, I would say the big problem there's only one real problem I have with it and if it had been corrected this would have been really good. It's just there's two parts that are in foreign language or that are from foreign languages. Like there's an Aero Peru flight and there's a Japan Airlines flight. 
and right. they're they're translated obviously because they're doing it in English, but they're right. not translated very well. <laughs> so oh, it it no. sounds stiff, and they're like. <laughs> making sure they do word for word because that's kind of the idea of it is that you're doing the actual thing said but they're not doing the actual thing said because that's not the language they were speaking and the meaning isn't the same so it it gets stiff yeah, word for word translation doesn't actually yeah. work it's too yeah. too fucking literal there's a lot of that that does some make it kind of rough you, some languages you just literally can't yeah and it just makes the those two segments feel stiff. Like the 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 way they're talking just feels stilted, and you keep like like I know it, it's sort of I, I guess it reinforces that it is in a foreign language. But it's like if they just gotten a better translation, they would have been better. But I, I think it's just they were trying to make it like these are their actual words, but right, it's not how it works. That's not how language works, and. Yeah, yeah, it's well, it still sounds interesting. And yeah, I really liked it otherwise. I think it's very fascinating. And I'm actually curious how these foreign language translations sound now. You've actually mm. piqued my curiosity on this one. Next, one of the craziest fucking things I've ever seen. What's love? I did send you a clip of this. Oh, uh, this. Oh, gosh. This, this, uh, which one was this? Um. So. You got this guy, he's Satan. He he's like uh he's pansexual. He's he's shape he's shape shifting. <laughs> and he gets pulled over in a car by this cop. Uh this motorcycle cop. <laughs> right. Yeah, and he's like talking to the cop and the cop's like uh he tells the cop he's the devil. And the cop's like, I'm the devil here. I'm like on this road, I'm the devil. And Satan <laughs> takes that as a challenge. <laughs> uh, typical cop stuff. And he says, like, well, you look more like Christ to me. And then we see the motorcycle cop as Christ on the cross. And he turns him into Christ. And there's different times where the motorcycle cop is Satan. Or they switch places or he's cosplaying as Satan, but as a motorcycle cop. Uh, th that's okay. what I sent you is the part where the motorcycle cop is showing up and telling someone he's Satan. Uh, and right. the, the incredible shot where it like shows him on the motorbike and it looks like it's going to start up in like an eighties music video. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. It, it's hard to like, that is more literal than it is. This is a movie that was made across two decades. It was started in the 70s. It was finished in the 80s by a completely different director. Uh, mostly adult film actors. Uh, like all people who were in the pornography business, both the directors and most of the actors. I think maybe all of them. Although it's not, there's no hardcore in it. Or at least there's very little. I think there might be a tiny little bit. Not very little. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> It, it, it like it is unclassifiable. It is a very strange experience. It, it's sort of pondering the nature of love, but it's also pondering the nature of sex. And you've got this whole Satan Jesus thing. There's this like after the cop says the thing about Satan. There's this bit where you're you're seeing a sex scene, and there's like the cop having sex with someone with long hair and a denim jacket and like you keep seeing that butt it's like really great fucking ass and then 
afterwards it pans up and it's Satan, like the guy who was Satan earlier. He's just got long hair. I was like, gotcha. Very weird. <laughs> oh, Satan. <laughs> you fooled me again. Next is It's Never Too Late to Mend, which is the next one, the Todd Slaughter box. Ooh. Uh, very stagey. Very churchy. <laughs> this one's based on a novel from the Victorian era, one that I think was pretty popular back in the day, but this is an author who hasn't really maintained uh, as, as a canonical author since that time. Uh, so Todd Slaughter in this one, he's a justice of the peace, but he kind of works as a prison administrator. And okay. if people mess with him, he sends them to prison to torture them to death, you know, like whatever. Mm. He just uses the prison system to uh, deal with people. And uh, it's like, I think the book was sort of an expose on the prison system. At least that's what the, opening crawl says like it made queen victoria overhaul the prison system because it was so embarrassing i see I so see. like there's a bit where there's this little boy who's in prison <laughs> for oh, stealing no. a loaf of bread for his uh dying his mother who was dying of starvation but he got caught so she died she starved Poor to death Aladdin. and then uh the todd slaughter he he feels he has it too good because uh you know he's complaining about his treatment because he's like you know i was trying to st I, I had to steal the loaf of bread because my mother was dying like oh yeah well where is she now she's dead she starved because i didn't get back uh and he's complaining about how there there's it's a workhouse situation where you have to just turn a crank with a heavy weight on it uh tons and tons of times and he's like oh, right. i can't do it is the number of times I'm a little boy. Uh, and he's like, well, maybe we increase your uh, thing. And he works him to death. Uh, right. As, as you do. It's weird. <laughs> it's my least favorite in the set so far, but still interesting. All right. Next is karate for life, which is the third in a trilogy. I have not seen the other two. Uh, <laughs> oh, is this one of those this is from randomly chosen Sunny Chiba ones? It is from Sunny Chiba Collection Volume 2. Uh, it's about, he, in the three movies, he plays this guy, Oyama, who I don't think he's based on a real dude, but maybe he is. It doesn't seem likely based on what happens in this movie. He doesn't seem like a hero character at the start. I'm not really sure what his deal is, honestly. I, maybe it would help to have seen okay. the previous movies. He's just, he's all about fighting. Fighting really matters to him. Nothing else does. Seems to be that way sometimes. Yeah, it's his kind a of thing. Lot. Like the opening scene, he comes to this dojo and it's like uh, the beginning of One Armed Boxer, not One Armed Boxer. Um... Five Fingers of Death? No. The first Chinese one. Chinese boxer. Chinese boxer. It's quite a bit like Chinese boxer. He shows up and he's like, I'm challenging your entire dojo. Toppling the school. I'm toppling your fucking school. He fights a hundred dudes and then he knocks the master's eye out. Oh, shit. That's the opening scene. It's like, this is fucking rad. But then kind of. Cool. It, it sort of loses track after that. It just becomes very episodic. Oh. It's just a bunch of shit happening. Uh. He has to go to Osaka for some reason, and he gets tricked into becoming a pro wrestler. <laughs> he <laughs> okay. fights some luchadors. 
Uh, sure. But he keeps winning and he's not, he's supposed to be throwing the fight. So, he, you know, people keep getting beat up because of it. He falls in with a gang of orphans, obviously. <laughs> You know, I'm just picturing Sonny Chiba with these like six-year-old Oliver Twist kids. It's like that. But it he's is a bunch, one of the pickpockets. Well, like it, it is a bunch of pickpocket orphans, and he just like falls in with them and sort of becomes their leader. After you know, initially they steal from him, and then he just like finds their place, and they show up, and he's just asleep there. <laughs> it's weird. It's 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 pretty all over the place. <laughs> There is a crazy final battle as well. Like the opening battle and the closing battle are both nuts, but in between is like, I don't know where what we're doing right now. <laughs> maybe we need to know the character. Maybe we maybe. do need the context. Possibly. And maybe the other characters will make more sense then too. Or maybe it won't help. And it's good. That's just know. what the series is. Next is Tender Dracula. This is the first one in the Cushing Curiosities box. Very very weird fucking movie um so i as i said last week uh cushing is he's playing this guy who may who's normally been playing a vampire for years and years and he right. decides he wants to become a romantic leading man he's tired of this horror stuff so a couple tv executives are sent to talk to him at his weird gothic castle where he's got like torture chambers and a mad science <laughs> lab and i'm pretty sure he's actually a vampire and <laughs> i don't know uh it's hard to say what's going on in a lot of it, it there, there's all these parts where people seem to be murdered or people like their girl be cut in half and then they'll come back later and they're okay uh got better yeah it reminds me a lot of Rocky Horror Picture Show. And this is the year before Rocky Horror, but Rocky Horror was a play first. Hmm. So Man, I got to see Rocky Horror again. I barely remember how it goes. It's been so long. Uh, this kind of feels like it's heavily influenced by it and kind of trying to do a riff on that kind of thing. But before the movie did it. Because the movie, okay. like the the actual movie of Picture Show, comes out in seventy five, right. and this is seventy four. But the play had been running; it was very successful for a while. Hmm. I mean, I I really think it is because it has the same ending. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the the castle uh, launches off into space. <laughs> that's yeah, that's not a normal thing to no, happen in a vampire no. story. No, so I really think that's... they had Rocky Horror in mind. If I had a nickel for every time that happened, yeah. I'd have two nickels. Two nickels, which is more than you'd expect. Next, I went back to the Dungeon of Andy Milligan. Watch the first one there. The Ghastly Ones. Ooh. Uh, I think it's his earliest surviving film, maybe? I'm not sure. Uh, a lot of his films are lost. So it's... Uh, what is The Ghastly <laughs> Ones about? There's this family... And uh, they're inheriting a fortune. So they're all going to this mansion for the will to be read. Right. The wallpaper's fucking hideous. It's Andy's house. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they, they couldn't get a real mansion. It is a mansion. Like oh, he, oh. He managed oh. to, he bought a mansion in Long Island and he shot all of his movies in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. okay so it's weird like it, it is a very strange space 
it, it's like kind of run down and crappy looking a lot of the time but <laughs> you have just this ugly ugly wallpaper everywhere so uh, someone is killing off people obviously you know there's someone trying to get the fortune we don't know who it is uh right really right. goofy ridiculous gore there's a fair amount of gore but it is bad looking <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like uh, people pulling out guts and stuff and it, it never looks very good but you get a fair amount of it and the camera always kind of seems so overtaken by it like it's going to fall over that's that's andy's <laughs> favorite thing uh, the, uh, a popular uh w one of the most common things that he writes in like the, the way these are written in the scripts is swirl camera so he just like you know, the camera is so overwhelmed that like it, it starts to get dizzy and fall. Oh, oh, yeah. like like the camera's fainting. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. <laughs> I, I I've seen that done before. That's it that's fun. It's like his signature. He does it in every movie. Oh, nice. Next is Bride of Killer Nerd. I like this one more than the first. Hmm, yeah. Uh, the All first right. one's like it's also like twenty minutes shorter, which helps a lot. It's a lot tighter. Oh. <laughs> uh, so the jokes just they hit they hit harder. Uh, obviously, I I sent you a couple of clips from this. There's that really great moment at the beginning where he's in his house being haunted by the people he killed in the previous movie. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and the, he's like he like well actuallys them. Yeah, one of the ghosts is like. Hey, Harold, you got any pretzels? No, you can't eat pretzels because you are dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I, I enjoyed that a lot. Like his mom is there who he killed in the last one. And she's like complaining about him having killed her. <laughs> and it seems like, I don't know, he just got away with it. Nobody noticed. I, I have no idea what happened between the two, but he's just doing his thing. He's still working a job and well the reset button got hit i guess so except for the victims i mean he still remembers everything uh sometimes you know people he's still getting bullied even by little kids <laughs> he's stopped <laughs> in the street by a bunch of children who say nerd 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 uh, yes i am a nerd it seems like he'd own it he normally owns it like in real yeah. life uh toby radloff definitely owns it but uh, yeah, uh, he there's a girlfriend. Obviously, he meets this girl, and okay. she is a nerd, just like him. Oh, I bet she is cartoonishly ugly. No, she's just nope. very nerdy. She's she oh, is okay. a nerd. Okay. Uh, she okay. she has glasses, and she's uh, not. You know, she's dressed down, and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and everybody's rude to her. Everybody hates her because she's smart, I guess, uh, and not not good socially, right? So she ends up marrying Harold. They meet, and they, they fucking hit it off. It's perfect match. Uh, she doesn't know he's a killer yet, but she'll find out at some point, and by that point, she's totally into it. Uh, oh, okay. They go right. to this party, and. It's put on by all her bullies. For some reason, they decide to go because they've gotten married and they really feel like they're going to get out and be better together. So they <laughs> the give two, they can't possibly bully the both of us. Yeah, they give him just so much alcohol that he's just 
totally fucking plastered on the floor. And they decide to give her a makeover and they paint her up like a clown. Oh, uh, all they had to do is get rid of the glasses and ponytail and she'd be super hot. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, obviously very upset by this, they, uh, kill all of the bullies, uh, not there yeah. at the party, they come back and they kill them. Uh, there's a very, like, the, it begins with, they, uh, go after this guy who was her elementary school bully, like a dude who's been bullying her since they were kids. And right. she has Harold put him in a headlock and... Uh, she pulls his pants down. He's like, I always wondered what oral sex was like. And she bites his dick off. He's like, oops, I did it wrong. <laughs> and then Harold fucking snaps his neck like he's fucking Steven Seagal. <laughs> Actually, Steven Seagal is a nerd of martial arts. When you think that about is true. it. It is true. It is true. Uh, and yeah, you know, they murder everyone. <laughs> uh it's weird okay <laughs> i had more fun than i did in uh, the first one i i do like when i don't mind it so much when bullies get killed it's true. i don't know why that is yeah uh next is, is video diary of a lost girl are you familiar with diary of a lost girl no. silent film uh louise brooks are you familiar at all with louise brooks uh, no, I'm not. Very significant figure. You'd recognize her because she's super iconic. She kind of defined the flapper style. Uh, and she made just okay. a few movies. Uh, the Blue Angel, uh, Pandora's Box, and Diary of the Lost Girl. These German films. She came to America. She was too much for America. She was too ahead of her time. She was openly bisexual. Uh, oh, there was uh -oh. lesbianism in her movies. Uh, she basically just got buried. Uh, they, they, no one knew what to do with her. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, video diary of a lost girl. You have a lot of references to Louise Brooks, and the main character is named Louise Brooks, but it's set in like the 2010s, because that's when it's made. Okay, I'm. I'm actually googled. I have seen her before. I've oh, absolutely totally. seen her. Yeah, so iconic, like uh, the definitive 20s lady look. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in this one, this Louise Brooks, she works in a video store. She's always watching old movies, lots of old horror movies, a uh, lot of references to classic female-led horror. There's a lot of, um, uh, Carnival of Souls in it, which is a really great one. You, you've maybe cool. seen Carnival of Souls. It's the Mormon maybe. one where there's this lady who doesn't realize she's a ghost. It's actually great. That sounds vaguely familiar. So in this, she, uh, this Louise Brooks is an alien sex vampire. Oh, I should have seen that coming. <laughs> She's immortal, uh, but she has to have sex once every month or she'll get her period to death. Well, that's going to be so hard, I bet. Yeah, well, so we see her kill this one dude. And it's her first, like she's, she's new to this. Uh, like she's just sort of aged into it, I guess. Okay. Uh, so she, there's this dude she has sex with and he dies. Cause that's what happens. If she has sex with them, they die. Oh, it's not just have sex or you die. It's have sex and kill someone or you die. Yeah. You have sex with them yeah. and they die. 
they have okay. to die. The thing is that makes it harder. The thing is, these guys always come back. So oh. once they die, they come back from the dead one time each. I think okay. it's supposed to be the idea. So she's like hanging out of work after having killed this first guy. And then he shows up. He doesn't remember that they've had any past. Uh, he's just a different kind of a douchebag now. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> okay. he is the late aughts hipster stereotype. He's just so fucking obnoxious. He reminds me a lot of, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the movie. It's a Tim Heidecker film. I uh, have Tim and Eric where he's playing just this insufferable hipster douche. He reminds me of that. He feels like that guy. <laughs> and for some reason, she's really conflicted about having sex with him to kill him again. <laughs> they, and they just start dating and they become, you know, friends with it. And I, I don't know, it's weird. But then obviously her coven are not cool with that. Of of course not. Problems. Uh, I mean, it's a hell of a thing. It's weird. It it probably does help to know a fair amount of the reference points. <laughs> probably. Because <laughs> it's very heavy on reference to uh, classic horror. Okay. Next, from the Black Emmanuel box, Emmanuel in America. This one is fucking crazy. Uh, crazy good or crazy bad or crazy i don't know crazy fucked up <laughs> <laughs> so like emmanuel her thing is she's a photojournalist but she mostly does sex stuff like she she follows sex stories so right. the first like it's always just a bunch of stories she, she like moves from thing to thing in these movies so in this one she's in america and she gets wind of this dude who has a harem in oh, upstate New York or something in his big mansion. And they're all okay. uh, e each lady is a different sign of the Zodiac. For the Zodiac reason? fucker. Yeah, he's the Zodiac <laughs> fucker. I, oh, yeah, I forgot. Before that, uh, she cures a missionary serial killer by giving a blowjob. Uh, they. Oh, no, you probably got tired of the missionary position. And that's why he <laughs> became the killer. Because like she, he has a like he carjacks her and he's gonna shoot her in the head and then she gives him a blowjob and he decides sex is better and he doesn't actually need to kill promiscuous women. I don't know. <laughs> he comes huh. back later and he helps her out. It's weird. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh. So she she infiltrates the harem. She she gets in and it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's, there, there's bestiality you do see a woman legitimately jerk off a horse uh, okay. which is like okay uh, <laughs> and then she ultimately she's playing a card game and she decides to just fucking fleece the guy she wins the shit out of his money and cleans him out and he's really mad so she has to like get into some guy's car and escape <laughs> this other dude is leaving <laughs> so she moves to Venice and she uh, sort of gets in with a open couple, like this Venetian couple who have a semi-open relationship. And there's all these orgies in Venice and she gets really bored of it. So she goes to this weird sex hotel somewhere. I'm not sure where it's supposed to be. 
So she spent the movie's called Emmanuel in America, and she spends all this time in Venice. I'm not sure where the sex hotel is. I don't think it's in America, but she comes back to America after the sex hotel. Uh, okay. <laughs> the old globe trot. I mean, Emmanuel in Bangkok was also Emmanuel in. Um, I want to say Rome. I don't remember where the second location was. They they went to like a different country for a while in it. Okay. So it's a thing they do. Globe trotting adventures. <laughs> so the sex hotel she's just like peeping on everybody in the other rooms and taking pictures of them which i i, I guess this is supposed to be her photojournalism but it just kind of seems like she's a voyeur uh <laughs> but one of the points she's peeping on she finds people screening a snuff film and oh. she starts following that thread she goes back to america and she figures well if i'm gonna find out about snuff films i'm gonna have to seduce a senator so she seduces this senator the natural course of action he's able to connect her with the actual snuff porn ring of course uh, he is it's crazy it's fucking crazy <laughs> it's a very intense very strange film like one of the more fucked up things i've seen <laughs> and that's mm. me that's that's really saying something <laughs> i i have seen some shit yeah yeah you have <laughs> uh next is blood on her name uh this is a neo-noir quite recent uh 2019 now you have not seen blue ruin or green room have you no i haven't this feels a lot like those but without as much to it like it, it it it's like saulnier core i don't know jeremy saulnier is the director of those two it's even got the same person who does the score for his movies oh, okay so it's this lady in the opening scene we see her uh starting to dispose of this body because this guy has been hit in the head with a wrench and is dead and it's you know she hides the body but she feels really conflicted about it and uh she finds out like she looks into the wallet and she finds out his address and she goes and watches the house and she really feels bad she doesn't like the idea of these people not knowing what happened to this husband and father so she makes the decision to bring the body back uh <laughs> just makes a lot of problems for herself just stupid decision after stupid decision that's um that's that's sort of like the top 10 things you don't do when you kill somebody and take the body back to their house yeah yeah uh <laughs> it, it goes wrong for her. it's it's bad uh it, it is a huge mess for everyone <laughs> it's very yeah, serious bet. like it, it is a movie that has no humor in it like absolutely really? zero humor it is excruciatingly grim and bleak uh yeah <laughs> i don't know but it's it weird sounds funny right the concept like... invites an amount of absurdism like there there should be a bit of uh an awareness that we're in a situation that is a little bit too ridiculous but there never is uh it was okay I, I thought it was very well shot and it's well acted and it's it's got a lot of atmosphere but it just there's something missing and i'm not sure what it is maybe it is humor maybe there is just like it, it lacks any anything other than dourness you know like the the saulnier movies they're very dark and very brutal and very serious but there is humor in them like uh green room ends on a joke <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can't 
just be all dark 100% of the time. It Yeah, it just, it starts to feel like the fucking Todd McFarlane Spawn TV show kind of feel. Like, I don't need that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Snyderverse. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm not an edgy teen. I don't, I don't know. And I, it, I don't think it would appeal to edgy teens because the violence is off screen for the most part. You know, there's, mm. it's, it's much more of a slow burn. But interesting, you know, compelling. Okay. The last one is Amber Aroused. <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna make you aroused. Uh, it's a porno. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's. I, I had to watch it because it is a porno featuring Polly's robot. <laughs> it's, there's a robot. It's not exactly Polly's robot from Rocky Four, but same kind of deal. Like a. <laughs> Uh, so there's this lady, Amberlynn. She the the porn star's name is Amberlynn. I think the character's named Terry. Okay. I mean, honestly, the name Amber, like the title on like in the actual movie is just aroused. So, I don't know. <laughs> uh, in the opening scene, there's this guy dressed. There's a celebrity lookalike of Burt Reynolds <laughs> dri- <laughs> driving around in the car from Smokey and the Bandit. And <laughs> I am definitely Burt Reynolds. He, it's. I mean, it is kind of uncanny. He really does look like Burt Reynolds. It's a pretty good impersonator. Uh, and right. he he pulls over to the side of the road. I think either his he runs out of gas or the car breaks down. And who should drive up but Amber or Terry, I guess. And she gives him a blowjob and he feels much better about it all. Oh, good. Good. Good job. <laughs> so she's on the way on the way to her job interview with this weird rich couple who hire her as a live in maid. And they also have a robot. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. It's, it is a very goofy looking robot. You can see it on the poster. Oh, oh I'm, I'm, I'm going to look at this here. Yeah. Um, it, you've censored out the... Oh, it's it's fuzzed out, right? Of course. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can't see it. That's fair. Uh, so she seduces both of them, obviously and eventually the robot too there's a point where the <laughs> robot just has a dildo attached to it uh the next door neighbor is uh what's his name one of the porn stars you've heard of ron jeremy ron jeremy oh, I, yeah <laughs> yeah ron jeremy is the next door neighbor and he's always peeping so he sees all this stuff going on and he comes over and his name i think is dom and she decides to dom him Oh, it's so, ironic. I think that's what it was. I, I feel like his name is Dom, but she's down the shit out of him. She has him uh she has him go down on her underwater in a pool while she has him on a leash. It's wild. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh I mean yeah, and, and then you know by the end they have a dinner party and there's a big orgy because she spikes the punch and everybody has an orgy, uh, including the robot. And so she feels her work here's done. On it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so those are our 14 picks for next week. What do you figure? All right. Well, I did say that I wanted to do the uh, Charlie Victor Romeo. I wanted to do the 3D glasses thing. And mm-hmm. Check mm-hmm. that out. And Pretty easy one. Like, yeah. Not a lot to say about it, but uh, worth a watch for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And we haven't said hi, like I was saying, we haven't said hi to Jeff Bridges in probably over a year. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, remember so, what the last one we watched would have been. 
uh starman maybe yeah and that would have been yeah. first year yeah uh it might have been that long though it could be yeah i don't know so Can't yeah let's, let's do cutter's way all right we could probably fit in know. another if you want yeah charlie victor romeo sounds like it would be one that wouldn't take long to yeah i, I don't there, there wouldn't be much yeah to dissect indeed yeah there's not a lot to go into but we can talk about each of the crashes but yeah i think we could sure, definitely sure. fit in a third if you're interested uh yeah what's something that would kind of well is anything is there anything that goes with those two <laughs> and those are both very other? different yeah i mean you i mean pray practically anything there's a lot of odd stuff this oh. week i went with crazy shit this week yeah no that's what it was i wanted to do what's love because, what's love? <laughs> because that clip uh, when yeah. i saw that clip i was like <laughs> i want to see what this is i think it might be my favorite one in the set so far i i have Ooh. been enjoying the set quite a bit uh this one is like it is there's nothing else like it i, I don't even know how to explain this movie <laughs> <laughs> right on but it'll be good for to finally actually cover one of the ones in the set because we haven't discussed any of them here yet although you have seen rare blue apes oh yeah this is the the lost movie set right indeed yeah the vinegar syndrome lost films picture show you got the song in my head again (laughs) that'll happen you just have to say the words and then (laughs) it's it's in there it's in there it's necessary so we have 10 additions to the stacks as i mentioned uh, oh yes so from the michael j murphy box the next one is second sight uh this looks like it's kind of an erotic thriller type thing which is what torment was so it might be good uh so there's this dude this drunk novelist who he's remarried and they move to the countryside but then her ex-husband shows up and i don't know if he was aware that she had a, an abusive ex-husband and uh she's also getting it on with some other dude and i think it turns into kind of a straw dog situation i don't know okay. if you're familiar with straw dogs sam peck uh, i know i'm not <laughs> yeah I, I from what i read it it really looks like it's a straw dogs but by michael j murphy which could be interesting okay. uh i don't know what kind of sexual politics that's gonna have well that's one thing else that we can always say about michael j murphy is it's always interesting it's never boring i have quite enjoyed those uh next is death wish that's a big one death wish charles bronson in death wish i wish i was dead gonna make you wish you were dead uh i I can't remember if it's jeff goldblum in the first one or the second one that he murders (laughs) (laughs) Jeff Goldblum is just one of the punks in in the, oh, in one shit. of the, the first two. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, he plays Paul Kersey, this guy who is very left wing, but his wife gets murdered by a group of street punks. And Isn't this the same as the... no? I it sounds familiar because I've seen this one. That's oh, you've why. seen Death Wish? Nice. I've seen a Death Wish. I, it might be this one uh was it relatively serious <laughs> it would only be oh, the first two <laughs> uh yeah so he his wife is murdered so he becomes a vigilante he he goes out prowling with a gun and looks for people committing crimes and fucking shoots them <laughs> uh a weird fucking movie uh 
absolutely gigantic blockbuster launched a whole series i do have the next four after it yeah death wish was huge uh jeff goldblum is in the first one he's freak number one (laughs) freaks um find a, a a way yeah next we've got the mysterious castle in the carpathians uh this is an early 80s steampunk movie from uh czechoslovakia Oh, nice! <laughs> I it, it it from it's based on uh, I think it's a Bram Stoker book or maybe a Mary Shelley book. From what I understand, it sounds like it's one that was heavily influential on. Uh, oh, it's a Jules Verne novel uh, that was possibly the inspiration for Dracula. Oh, okay. It's this weird castle with a. The town of Werewolfville in the Carpathians. What is? What do they? Okay. What sort of problems does Werewolfville have to deal with? I'm not sure if there are actually werewolves. There's a mad doctor. You gotta have oh. a mad doctor, and he he's kidnapped his favorite opera singer, and she has her. I guess it's her body is preserved in a crypt under the castle, and. Uh, they're creating scary stuff to scare people away from the castle, but I think it's all like mechanical fake horror that they're just using to scare people away. So Werewolfsville should have be called should have been called Frankenstein of the Operasville, something like that. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, it sounds really fucking crazy. Sounds interesting for sure. Next in the Lost Film set is Last of the American Hobos which is a documentary about hobo life in America. Interesting. Uh, it's directed by Titus Mode, who was in Incredibly Strange Creatures, who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the I don't know if you recall the part where there's just a dude listening to a radio uh, who he goes by. That's Titus Mode. Uh, he plays a hobo in that, and he uh, covers hobodom in this. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's like a big hobo meetup that, that documents. I don't know. It sounds interesting. All right. That's, that sounds, oh yeah. Cause like they did all the, like the hitchy rides on boxcars and shit, or did yeah. they actually do that? Oh, totally. Yeah. Oh, cool. There's a whole right. culture. That'll be interesting to. Mm-hmm. They, they had their own language, uh, basically, you know, to pictographic language that they would put on places to give you an idea of the people who live there, all sorts of stuff like that. Right. Next is The Ticket of Leave Man, which is another one from the Todd Slaughter box. Uh, Todd Slaughter here plays the tiger, another serial killer. Uh, And someone gets accused of his crimes and they have to prove their innocence and catch him, obviously. Mm, Of course. Next from the Sunny Chiba box, Golgo 13, Assignment Kowloon. Uh, I've heard of this one. Uh, Golgo 13, popular series. I think it is based on an anime. Uh, That's or, probably what I've heard of. Or manga. And I think there is an anime series based on it. So uh, Chiba is Golgo 13, uh, a.k.a. Duke Togo. And he's assigned to uh, assassinate a mob boss in Kowloon, the walled city. Cool. Should be pretty oh, fucking cool. rad, right? Yeah. yeah Kowloon is one of the fucking awesome. most interesting places on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> Next from the Cushing Curiosities box is Bloodsuckers, also known as Incense for the Damned. 
where this English student has disappeared while in Greece and his friends are looking for him and they keep finding this trail of murders everywhere they follow him. Uh, and it turns out he's got this vampire girlfriend, I think, who's uh, <laughs> just like taking him from place to place and killing people with him. Uh, All right. It sounds like a weird mess. It's one that is, it, it was very hated when it came out. There's like a big orgy sequence. There's a lot of sex, uh -oh. <laughs> even though it is a vampire movie. Uh, very strange Greek psychedelic nonsense. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, sounds very interesting, but it is not well liked. As I feel all mm. the movies in this set are there, weird, obscure pictures that Cushing happened <laughs> to be in. All right. Next is My Degeneration. Uh, this is the first in another box. Uh, a collection of films by John Muratsugu. These are shot on video stuff. I think maybe 16 mil or 8 mil. Uh, very lo-fi film school type stuff. This one is about uh, Riot Girl Band. Just them starting a band. And it's it's got lots of real uh, cool early 90s, late 80s punk and noise rock. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's more of an art project than a narrative. Okay. Next is Emmanuel Around the World. I mean, that's kind of what she's doing all the time, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the impression I've been getting. Word is this one's even more fucked up than Emmanuel in America. Oh, no. This one's her <laughs> investigating a white slavery ring. Uh, oh, a lot of no. reviews make reference to a sequence with a dog and a cobra that is very messed up. I, I almost <laughs> want to know just... <laughs> to know if it is or isn't worse than what i'm imagining because what i'm imagining is bad but i don't want the confirmation i do and don't want the confirmation well i'll know soon i'll certainly watch it in a nice little while and we'll find out <laughs> uh, maybe you can let me know or, or maybe not <laughs> <laughs> oh i'll let you know i know you will <laughs> next or last last edition is prospect uh this is a fairly recent film pretty indie lo-fi sci-fi western Ooh, there's not a lot of good ones of those <laughs> yeah i mean i've seen a few but i haven't seen many that are tolerable uh this one's quite recent it's from i think 2018 it stars pedro pascal uh, oh we remember, like him yeah he was in um yeah. unbearable he's, weight of massive talent he was fun in that yeah he's, he's i've seen him in a few things now recently yeah, i've recently seen him in a bunch of stuff uh there's something more recently than that even i can't remember yeah i and i think he's in one of the star wars is one of the newer ones mm, if he was it would have been the last one that i didn't see mm, unless I, they've made more since then i don't even know i don't follow that anymore no i guess he isn't i'm, I'm looking at his the list of stuff he was in wonder woman 1984 where he was weird <laughs> okay <laughs> i don't know if you ever saw that i wasn't a big fan no, no it wasn't terrible but was not great oh he's on the mandalorian oh that's what it is i haven't seen that but okay uh i guess anyway so it's him as this father and he and his daughter are prospecting but on like 
you know, doing prospecting claims on planets, on moons and stuff. Oh, cool. They're looking for some gems, but they're claim jumpers. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it sounds pretty simple. It sounds a lot like Moon Zero Two, which isn't great, but might be all right. <laughs> uh, I've heard that it's got just a really pleasing style and look to it. I always enjoy that. Hmm. So uh, we are not picking from the main stacks this week. We are picking something from a series that we have started in the past, and I've cast a pretty wide net in terms of the list that we've got here. Some of these do represent a director rather than a set. Uh, obviously, we've got Dark Star there and Fear and Desire. Each That's the first film by Carpenter, the first film by Kubrick. You just pick any Carpenter or Kubrick that we haven't covered, I figure. <laughs> that kind yeah, of thing. okay. I, I, was, I was looking at Dark Star, it's a fun movie. And thinking about Precinct 13 got me thinking about Carpenter, and I haven't seen Dark Star. His debut film, a student film, uh, one that oh. he's kind of been mixed on over time because it's definitely not his usual style entirely because it's it's Alien. Right. Uh, but before Alien, like it came out first. It's from 74. Oh, like, like capital A Alien. Yeah, it is the plot of Alien. There is this oh, okay. group and they find this weird alien and uh, it's a beach ball. <laughs> it's mm. causing problems. They do have a very similar interface with like a mother computer that uh, keeps things from them. Uh, they've been doing this for years and it's they're like regular workers. You know, they're they're blue collar dudes who just have to do this mining job in space. And it's just... They're sick of it. They've been in <laughs> in space for 20 years and they're bored of all of it. Uh, right. <laughs> their captain has been killed at some point and he's just been, he he's, his body is being kept in this frozen area and he can still talk to them occasionally, but he's not like there, there was some kind of leak or something that uh, <laughs> like, I don't recall exactly how, how it works. <laughs> okay um that sounds interesting i see we've also got dracula's daughter and bride of frankenstein on here mm -hmm. uh oh we could do another yak as a wolf <laughs> we could the other the other yak as a wolf there are only oh there, two. there was just the other one only yeah. other one just the uh yeah extend my condolences uh <laughs> this one is weird it, this one's a bit more cartoony it has him assemble a team and they have to raid an island castle fortress <laughs> okay <laughs> oh we could also do the next godzilla then we could do another ultra q true i mean and depending on what we watch there's a very good we chance we'll do, that we'll anyway, do an ultra yeah. q anyway yeah 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 oh gosh the only uh, reason we, we didn't this week is because last year at marion bad is hella complicated <laughs> yeah we didn't need to extend part one anymore <laughs> no <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, oh you know what we didn't actually watch a halloween movie this last halloween oh man there's so many options <laughs> it's true and i do feel like a lot of these we can kind of just choose anything in the set as long as it's not like a chronological series yeah you know, there, there's probably yeah, like, a bunch of these we could just go for a later one any halloween any friday the 13th yeah. You know. Like, I, I wouldn't do Dracula's Daughter or Bride of Frankenstein because I watched those on my own, although we could but touch on them, them if we decided. Yeah. yeah. 
or like we can I, maybe I, do the next one in that series, but touch on those two. Or do both, if yeah. We were going down this, because they're they're short, they're easy they to fill in. Like we could do and, two, do it with. Yeah, they're the next they're very one. digestible. Yeah. Um. Oh gosh. Oh yeah, we did the Star Trek movies out of order. We did two <laughs> and one. Yeah. So we got three on here. Uh, but you know what? Oh, there's a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pick a yak as a film. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I won't do it this time. I mean, I want to, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> There'll be more time for yak as a films. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, how actually, you know what, how far away from yak as can we go? Hmm. Um, not Godfather. <laughs> that's, that's kind of close. Uh, that's just, it's yeah. pretty close actually. Yeah. More uh, organized crime. Yeah. I mean, I guess Dark Star uh, is pretty far from Yakuza Dark in that it is, is blue-collar work in space. <laughs> Fuck it, let's do Dark Star. <laughs> All right. So then, our features next week are Dark Star, Cutter's Way, Charlie, Victor, Romeo, and What's Love. Should be pretty fun. Uh, I'd say we'll definitely do an Ultra Q as well. Okay. <laughs> I, I can. I, I've seen Dark Star like dozens of times. I know. I can fit in Ultra Q also for sure. We, uh, I won't be struggling to understand the depth of Dark Star. <laughs> I don't think so. No, uh, okay. Dark Star's a comedy. It is oh, cool. pretty full on a comedy. It is just a weird sci-fi student film comedy. Like it was made as a student film by John Carpenter and what's the dude's name? Um, Dan O'Bannon, who went on to do. Uh, I, I think he wrote Alien. Oh, oh okay. So cool. like there is a direct line from Shit. Dark Star to Alien. Like this guy was on this and then later he went on and wrote Alien and Total oh, wow. Recall and um, Oh, oh, he, he's done some stuff. Yeah. Invaders from Mars, Life Force, Return of the Living Dead. That one's fun. Mm. <laughs> uh, nice. So yeah, uh, that should be pretty fun. Do you have any last thoughts before we close for this week? Yeah, you did this one. Where the rare blue waves <laughs> of Cannibal Isle. She's gonna make you aroused. <laughs> <laughs> the the but, rare blue apes are gonna make you aroused. Like it has been uh, one of the big things. The last few weeks, theme songs have been fucking killer. Like Savage Beach, oh, the true. opening theme wasn't great, but that closing theme, Back to Survival, oh, rips. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, good bunch of theme songs lately. I yes. miss a good theme song. That is something the movies don't really do these days. But man, oh. used to be such an art. <laughs> All right, well, next week we will be back with Dark Star, Cutter's Way, Charlie, Victor, Romeo, and What's Love. See y'all next week with the rare blue apes of Cannibal Isle.